Hello, YouTube watchers and podcast listeners. My name is Johnny Dupe, and I welcome you to Movie Changeup, the show where we recast and pitch new versions of movies we love and movies we love to hate, with a little added twist. Today, I will not only be your host, but I will be also be casting judgment upon our two competitors. Before I introduce them, please help us out by subscribing and liking our video on YouTube, as well as giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Now, let's get to the two men competing today, first of which has been your host on previous episodes. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, Joe Fricky. I won the episode one, and I'm here to defend my win, and I beat one Mitchell brother, and I'm here to defeat my second one. And I'm less salty with you after uh, you decided I'm the victor than when you defeated me, so we're going into pretty equal playing ground here. And uh, next, we have last week's victim of my pitching wrath, and also my brother. Tell us who you are and how you're feeling after last week's heartbreaking loss. I'm Bobby Mitchell, and yeah, it was a it was a heartbreaking defeat, but that was my first time pitching. Um, so uh, let's see if I can do better the second time around against Joe, and uh, get back to judging after that. Yeah, are you feeling more confident going into uh, your second week of pitching? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was definitely um, a learning experience the first time. Uh, I feel like I missed some of my initial plot lines and pitches that I was trying to get in there in detail. So we'll see if I can do better this time. All right. We will see. Cause you got an interesting list of movies and an interesting list of rules. So we'll get into those. Um, our combatants today will be pitching new versions of the following nine movies. We have 127 hours from 2010, 2007's ghost rider, uh, Greece from 1978, the classic Adam Sandler film, little Nicky from 2000, the Rock from 1996, uh, the 2004 horror film Saw, Scarface, this the 1983 version with Al Pacino. We're going on doesn't really matter, I guess, but that's the one I'm basing it off of. Um, Seven Samurai from 1954 and Smoking the Bandit from 1977. Um, our competitors will have to pitch these movies using these following nine rules. They can only use one rule per movie and cannot use the same rule twice. Our rules today are. One needs to be recasted as a 1960s movie. One needs to be rated NC-17. One needs to be reimagined as a Charlie Chaplin movie. One needs to take place in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. You need to make one movie a Muppets movie. One movie must include Charlie Sheen. One movie needs to be made into a musical. I'm very excited about that one. You need to resurrect the career of one actor in one movie. And... Now, at last but not least, you must make one movie complete Oscar bait. So I wanted to start today's podcast with the pitch I have the highest expectations for, one of my favorite Marvel characters and one of my least favorite superhero movies. We are starting today's show with Ghost Rider, and since Joe won the coin toss, he's going to pitch first. All right, yeah, this is probably my longest pitch because it's the one I knew Johnny cared the most about, so I wanted to make it good. Now, when I started off wanting to make this pitch, I decided I wanted my Johnny Blaze, my Ghost Rider, to be more of an unknown, and I'm going to surround him with stars. And so I looked at television, and if you've seen the show Rawhide on CBS on Friday nights, you'd probably recognize the television star I chose. He's a television actor. He's popped up in movies here and there, uh, but I think he has superstar potential, and his name is Clint Eastwood. 
And if you're confused at what I'm talking about, the rule I chose for my movie is I'm casting this as if it were a 1960s movie. So my Johnny Blaze, a.k.a. Ghost Rider, is Clint Eastwood. My caretaker, who is kind of his mentor and trainer, uh, is going to be played by John Wayne. Uh, my Roxanne, his love interest in the movie, is going to be played by Tippi Hedren, who was the lead in the movie The Birds. Uh, my Mephisto, who's the demon, uh, the main villain in the movie, uh, was originally played by Peter Fonda. And I was trying to think, who should, who can replace Peter Fonda? And I thought no one other than Henry Fonda should replace Peter Fonda. Uh, he was he was shown a, in to be a villain, a good villain actor in the movie Once Upon a Time in the West. And I decided I'm going to do that as well. And he's going to be my villain. And for the character of Blackheart, Mephisto's son, I thought, who better to play Henry Fonda's son than his own son, Peter Fonda? And for the role of Crash Simpson, I'm casting none other than Steve McQueen. And so, here's my overall pitch. Uh, I wanted to change the origin story to be a little more like the comics. It's kind of a blend of what was in the 2007 version and in the comic books. So, a young Johnny Blaze was taken in by family friends, the Simpsons, after his parents died in a motorcycle stunt accident. He especially grows, grows close to the daughter, Roxanne. When Crash Simpson, the father of the family, gets cancer, Johnny decides he can't lose another father figure and turns to the occult to try to save him. Johnny summons the demon Mephisto and sells his soul in exchange for Crash's cancer to be cured. The next day, Crash's cancer is cured, Johnny and Roxanne get married, but Crash dies in a stunt that night. When Johnny confronts Mephisto after Crash's death, Mephisto is driven away when he sees Johnny's soul is now bound to Roxanne, whose soul is pure. Mephisto says he will return one day. Over ten years later, Mephisto's son Blackheart leaves hell and heads to Earth. Blackheart is looking for the contract of San Venganza to impress his father. Mephisto returns to Johnny and tells him if he finds Blackheart, he will release his soul. Johnny agrees, and Mephisto binds his soul to the demon Zarathos, which turns him into the leather-clad skeleton with a flaming head. Roxanne is terrified about what her husband has done. Johnny eventually meets the caretaker, who tells him the legend of the original Ghost Rider and about the contract of San Venganza, which would grant whoever possesses it the souls of everyone who lived in San Venganza at the time. We eventually learn the caretaker is the original Ghost Rider. The caretaker tells Johnny that he has faced Blackheart before, but he's unstoppable because he has no soul and their penance there, which inflicts all of the pain that that person has inflicted on others onto themselves, will not work. Blackheart learns about Johnny and captures Roxanne to attempt to corrupt her soul so that he can get near Johnny and kill him. Because in my version, because as Johnny Blaze... Because they're married and his soul is bound to her. When he's in the form of Johnny Blaze, Blackheart and Mephisto can't get close to him and therefore can't kill him. But when he's in the form of Ghost Rider, then uh, Blackheart and Mephisto can be near him. Blackheart tells Roxanne he will unbind the demon Zarathos from Johnny in exchange for her soul. Roxanne declines because she saw how Johnny's deals have worked out in the past. Johnny finds out Blackheart has captured Roxanne and takes the contract from the caretaker who has been protecting it. Johnny gives the contract to Blackheart in exchange for Roxanne when Roxanne is safe. Johnny gives Blackheart the penance there now that he is in possession of all the souls and it, the penance there destroys all of the souls inside of him and some, subsequently incapacitates Blackheart. Mephisto returns saying he will return his soul for doing what he asked or he can unbind him from Zarathos. Johnny says he's not making any more deals with Mephisto and continues to live on in, 
as Ghost Rider. I basically wanted to make this movie a Western, but the main character rides a motorcycle instead of a horse and has a fire chain instead of a lasso. And I forgot to add also that my director is John Sturgis, who directed uh, The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape. And that is my pitch for Ghost Rider. Question, what, what, um, I don't know if you have a specific year in mind. Oh, I what went with uh, 19, 1963. So Clint Eastwood was like in the middle of filming Rawhide. It was, and it was the year before the first Dollars movie came out, which was 1964, uh, A Fistful of Dollars. And it was also the same year The Birds came out. So Tippi Hedren was like at the height of her fame because I don't know what else she did besides the, besides the birds. Okay. All right. That's an interesting pitch. Uh, Bobby, let's, uh, let's hear what you got for me. Uh, well, this is interesting because I feel like we read up on Ghost Rider just about the same. So my plot line written out right here is very similar to yours. I just use a different rule. Um, so my director I'll start with is going to be Guillermo del Toro, who did the Hellboy movies, uh, Shape of Water, um, many other movies. But uh, he's worked with this kind of material before. Um, and my rule is that I'm going to re- resurrect an actor's career. Uh, And this actor, you may, if you think of him from the movies he was in back in the 90s and early 2000s, may not fit. But if you look him up today and may have seen him in some TV roles, roles, I think he fits perfectly. And that is Josh Hartnett is going to be my Johnny Blaze uh, ghostwriter. The most recent thing he really kind of did was the show Penny Dreadful, which he was really good in. But he hasn't been in a movie role in a long time. Um, And I think he's a better actor than he gets credit for. Uh, my Roxanne is going to be played by Rose Byrne. They're about the same age. They're about so 42 years old as Josh Hartnett, and that's about the same age as Nicolas Cage when he was in this movie. Um, my uh, Blackheart is going to be, of course, he needs to be in every Guillermo movie, is going to be Doug, jo- Doug Jones with the voice of Jeffrey Wright. Um, Jeffrey Wright is, I think he has one of the best voices in Hollywood. He is in Casino Royale. He's been in the Hunger Games movies. He's going to be uh, Commis- Commissioner Gordon. Um, in the upcoming uh, Batman movie. Um, My Mephisto is going to be played by Ron Perlman, returning uh, to his, uh, you know, hell roots from Hellboy. Um, And my caretaker, Carter Slade, is going to be played by Richard Jenkins, who has uh, history with um, Guillermo with Shape of Water. He was the father in Step Brothers, and he can do both drama and comedy. I think he can be a really good mentor. Um, so I basically had the plot line written out. It's going to tell the original origin story with um, their Johnny Blaze growing up in the carnival, where his mother and father were stunt were in a stunt show. His mom walks out of him, walks out um, with his two siblings, and leaves him with his dad. And his dad dies in a stunt, and he's taken in by Crash and Mona Simpson. Uh, Crash, I have played by Ben Foster. Um, he is close with her daughter Roxanne, and then makes the deal with the devil for cancer. I'm not going to run through the, all the same stuff that Joe did, but really when you read the plot line of the original 2007 ghost Rider, the rest of it, it really follows the comics. The only problem is it's so campy and corny the way they did it, where Nicholas cage is just pointing and saying you, every time he sees a villain, things like that. And all that just needs to get taken out. Um, so this is going to be because it has to be in the MCU at this point, if it's made today, um, it's going to be, one of the more serious toned MCU movies, more in like a Black Panther kind of tone. Um, It's still going to have the humor, but it's going to be on the darker side of the MCU. So it's definitely not an Ant-Man. But really, I just think you need to take this movie seriously and it's, it can be done really well. I think the, the origin story is really strong. I think it's going to get people invested and 
Um, I just like Guillermo's take. It can be very practical um, as well as he can handle effects. And I think Josh Hartnett is a pretty good actor that can, that fits in the MCU really well. All right. That's not the rule I would have used for uh, my Ghost Rider movie. And it wasn't the home run that I, that I was waiting for. Um, I also forgot to introduce the movie Ghost Rider before we did this. So still learning on my judging. Um, but for those of you, we'll just say after the pitches, for those of you who don't know the 2007 Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider, it received a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. Very bad movie. Um, it's basically about a Johnny Blaze. He sells his soul to the devil to save his father's life and never make the deal with the devil because he's transformed into the Ghost Rider, uh, which is basically the devil's bounty hunter. So he's kind of doing the devil's bidding and he's sent to hunt down sinners. So that's the character of Ghost Rider, which I think both of you um, cast pretty well in your in your movies. So I, my biggest question, Joe, I was going to ask you if he was on a horse or on a motorcycle, no. and yeah, you, he's on a and motorcycle. You nailed, yeah, and you nailed, and you answered that uh, later. So I crossed that off. My biggest question, Bobby, is you put this in the MCU. Is this? a character that's going to interact with any other like MCU type characters? Um, not in this movie. This is going to pretty be a pretty standalone origin story um, where you really don't get much interaction. There could be references that they can throw in depending on when they want this to take place. But really I just want it to focus on ghostwriter and not quite connect yet. Um, so it's going to be relatively standalone, but I feel like, Marvel can do that well, and then he'll interact with everyone in later movies. Okay. Um, all right. I don't really have much else to ask or to, to steer this. I honestly am pretty even on both your pitches so far. I would have been more sold on Joe's pitch if it was about Carter Slade and not Johnny Blaze. So that's the direction you should have went with yours. So, Joe, I'd like you to start. Just tell me why your pitch is stronger than Bobby's. I feel like mine's stronger because obviously he's like saying his is more standalone and not fully in the MCU. And I feel like he's having to say that because I feel like by putting his in the MCU, he's hindering of what his movie can be. And it has to be that certain tone. It has to be slightly comedic. It has to be quippy. And we're mine where it's completely separate from everything else going on in Marvel because it was made, you know, 50 years before the MCU, it can do whatever it wants and it doesn't need to be beholden to anything else. It can be darker without having to be like, well, it's darker than most MCU movies. It can just be whatever it needs to be. So as, as far as um, the tone and all that, I feel like Marvel has a pretty good range. Um, and, you know, you have the more comedic of Ant-Man, which is pretty much a comedy. Um, you have... Uh, like I said, Black Panther, you have Winter Soldier, which are more serious. So I feel like you can fit in that range and still get this movie's point across. My my biggest issue with yours, Joe, is you made this a 1960s movie. And one of the main factors that sells Ghost Rider is how cool he looks. And this movie set in the 1960s with the effects that were available back then, he would look terrible. Oh, so you're so going to get a really awful looking Ghost Rider to so um, get this funny. dark movie across. So there's a funny story about what happened here. I, I thought about this point because I thought someone might bring this up. So you see what happened. John Sturgis, director of this movie, they went out, they filmed the movie. Uh, they even partnered with Marvel and were like, hey, we're going to make this movie. You're going to release a comic book that goes along with this movie. Everyone's going to love it. But then the movie came out. They tried to test the effects. The effects, they didn't look good. So they just let the movie sit in a can. 
Eventually, nine years later in 1972, Marvel's like, hey, this movie hasn't come out yet. So they just released the comic anyways. And then in 2020, uh, they someone at Disney found this can of film and were like, hey, no one ever like fixed the effects on this. So it's a 1960s movie with 1960s actors, but we're releasing it in 2020 with 2020 effects because the rule was cast this movie as a as if it were a 1960s movie, they didn't say, hey, go make this movie in 1963. I feel like you just lost your point because that completely ruins the entire integrity of what the rule is. And that, yeah, even if you're trying to add effects to an older movie like that, it's still not going to look great. For one thing, it's not shot in the right film. It's not shot digitally. It's not done well where you can actually add the CGI and everything to make it look good. So you're just like releasing this movie unseen movie from the 1960s all of a sudden in 2020 yeah. that's not gonna work yeah there was like that yeah one. yeah i'm cutting in here i'm i'm just gonna say it. joe had this pitch for the most part one but i'm just gonna go over what i what i'm thinking because i i've i've heard enough on this one joe you would have nailed this pitch if you made it about carter slade in the 1960s and all of the effects were done in the 1960s and looked like like the original like clash of the titans stop motion mm-hmm. I would have been so down for that movie, but you chickened out of the rule. Bobby, get Ghost Rider the hell out of the MCU. Don't want it. Um, that sounds awful. The only movie in the MCU I'd want Guillermo del Toro to go near is Swamp Thing, so don't put him in a Ghost Rider movie. It does, just doesn't fit. But that being said, my deciding factor because I like both your casts. I love Josh Hartnett in uh, Lucky Number Slevin. That's one of my favorite movies. Just like, you know, fun little movie you can throw on anytime. And I'd like to see him as Ghost Rider. I, I like that. I don't like uh, Richard Jenkins as Carter Slade, but he's a good actor, so I'll, I'll take it. Joe, you lost this point because Evil Knievel didn't start his career until 1966, and you set this movie in 1963, and I don't believe that there'd be like a stunt driver. So you still uh, hey, included hey, stunt I driving. I looked it up. The fir- they were the you know the tunnel of doom or this the cute globe of death or whatever where it's like thing with motorcycles riding in that thing started in 1949. I understand that, but it's more of a carnival thing. The person who popularized it was Evil Knievel. If you set your movie in 1968 and actually had effects from the 60s, I would have been like so down for your movie. But yeah, I feel like I feel like Bobby wins this point out of default because I just feel like Joe cheated on his role, having it released mm-hmm. in 2020 or whatever. So I'm going to reward the first point to Bobby for his Ghost Rider pitch. Um, All right. Now the rule that one of you should have done, Bobby. Do you have a guess on the rule I wanted a Ghost Rider movie to look like? NC-17. Yes. I needed this to be the most violent movie ever made, and I need Ghost Rider to look like this and have spikes on his hands, and every time he kills someone, he should smash their faces to blood and pulp. So you both kind of screwed the pooch on those on those rules. I don't love either of your pitches, but I think uh, Joe cheated on his rules, so I gave it to, to Bobby. So, Joe, what movie are we doing next? All right, so I had a long pitch last time, and I, I, I'm going to go for a shorter pitch of mine, and I'm going to go with 2000's Little Nicky, and uh, I'll go first this time again. Okay, um, before we start the pitches, I will actually read my uh, little description of Little Nicky. So Little Nicky, it received a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, 
actually higher than I expected for it for this movie. It stars Adam Sandler, Patricia Arquette, and Harvey Keitel as Satan. Um, the IMDb describes this movie as after two of the devil's three sons escape hell to wreak havoc on earth, the devil must send his third son, the mild-mannered Nikki, to bring them back before it's too late. All right, yeah, so my little Nikki, the rule I enacted, because I'll be honest, I lined up all the movies I liked with rules I liked, and at the end I was left with two movies and two rules, and this was my best option. And so I'm making Little Nicky a Muppet movie. Now, for my director, I looked at the last two Muppet movies, and the guy that directed them was Michael Bobin, who mostly before this has done, who before the Muppet movies had did TV. Well, I didn't want to use him again, so I looked at other people who did TV, and I decided my director is going to be Michael Shure. And if you're not familiar with him, he co-created Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place, which are all similar to Muppet movies, have like these big ensemble casts with over-the-top characters. And especially The Good Place deals with heaven and hell, just like Little Nicky. Now, like most Muppet movies, there's like one or two human characters and everyone else around them is Muppets. So Nicky in this movie is going to be a Muppet, or he's going to be a human, sorry. And I'm going to I cast Adam Driver as Nicky. He can play a darker character, as we've seen as Kylo Ren, but he can also do comedy like we've seen him do on his uh, appearances in SNL and then the movie Logan Lucky. And then his love interest, Valerie, is also going to be a human. And I uh, cast Emma Stone as Valerie. Now, my devil, who was originally his dad in the movie, I'm going to make his mom, and uh, it's going to be a Muppet, and it's Miss Piggy as the devil. And the (laughs) angel in the movie was his mom, who was, I think, Reese Witherspoon. I'm going to make his dad, and it's going to be Kermit the Frog as the angel. Now, the two brothers uh, that he was going after, Adrian and Cassius, are going to be Fozzie Bear and Gonzo. Uh, Lucifer who I believe was Rodney Dangerfield in the original is going to be Sam Eagle. And then his roommates who are, I think originally like the two guys that cameo and basically all of the Adam Sandler movies that that's all they're known for are going to be the two critics. Statler and Waldorf are going to be his roommates. And now my pitch, my overall, the plot is pretty much the same, but obviously made more PG. We aren't shoving a pineapple up Hitler's ass while he wears a maid costume, you know? Uh, But the overall plot's the same. Nikki is sent to earth by his mom, uh, the devil to return his two brothers who escape from hell and are wreaking havoc. But the havoc is obviously a lot more comedic because it's a Muppet movie and they're not like killing people. Uh, throughout the course of the movie, he falls in love and he learns to use his powers for good. Uh, it's a message for kids that it doesn't matter where you come from or who your parents are. You can always be a good person. And that's my pitch for little Mickey as a Muppet movie. All right, Bobby, you're going to have a, uh, a tough one to compete with here. Let's hear what you got. Yeah, so um, I did a very different rule for this one. Um, I'll start with uh, my director, well, directors for this one. Um, I chose the Duffer Brothers, who created and directed uh, and wrote Stranger Things. So they're going to make their um, their film debut directing this movie. Um, and I'll have my cast. So as Nikki. Uh, who was Adam Sandler, I cast Chris Pine. Um, as Satan, who was Harvey Keitel, I cast Morgan Freeman. So Morgan Freeman has played God, and now he's going to play Satan. Um, and Because I think his voice can do be either menacing or be very you know fatherly or godlike. So I think that could work really well. 
Um, as Adrian, one of the brothers, uh, I cast Michael Shannon. And as the other brother, Cassius, I cast Josh Brolin. Um, so those my those are my three brothers trying to vie for the, the role of next Satan uh, to rule hell. Uh, and my last cast, which we'll get into my rule, um, is Rafe Fiennes as Lord Voldemort. Because this movie is going to be set in the wizarding world <laughs> of Harry Potter. So stick with me here. So this take, takes place during Voldemort's first reign, before the events of Harry Potter. So it's the same premise where Satan is looking for one of his three sons to replace him as the ruler of hell. Nicky is the favorite, but is the least powerful of the three and doesn't quite fit in with his brothers. When Satan decides none of the brothers are ready, Adrian and Cassius go to Earth to create a new hell. Satan sends Nicky to stop his brothers um, as the brothers take control of the wizarding world um, and because they are using possession to have wi powerful wizards do their bidding. Um, Lord Voldemort is threatened by this as he is trying to take over the wizarding world at the, at the same time and is losing his followers to these two uh, evil, uh, evil brothers. Um, when Nicky shows up, he is e easily killed at first by his two brothers as Voldemort, Voldemort witnesses this and he is sent back to hell. When he goes back, Voldemort greets him and they, create, they uh, work together begrudgingly to take down these two evil you know, beings that are trying to take over the world. Um, they are able to get an army uh, together. They get you know, not quite as many as the two brothers have, but they basically create a team to go up against the two. And Voldemort's able to hold off the army, and Nicky is able to get to the brothers, and he looks like he's going to be defeated, and he's able to use the uh, the evil goblet that was given to him by Satan to trap the two, which was in the original, it was a flask that they had to drink. So this is going to be a wizarding goblet that he's able to use to trap the two brothers. Um, he find, he you know he traps the brothers, they go back to hell, and he gets sent to heaven as his mother was actually an angel because of his need to do good. And he watches as Voldemort you know, goes on his reign begrudgingly, but because uh, he knew that he could not defeat his brothers with him, he watches and does not intervene. Um, and also the devil uses essentially a very powerful obliviate curse so that no one knows that hell and heaven actually exist in this world. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's my, the, the actual plot is going to be a lot more serious than the original little Nikki. So. All right. Um, very, very different pitches. Very, very hard to uh, to compare. Yeah. It's um, hard sitting in that seat, ain't it? No, not particularly so far. Um, I'm going to be honest, Joe. You're you sold me right away on your pitch. So, Bobby, I'm going to need you to defend yours because as of right now, I'm not sold on a Harry Potter. Heaven can and I, Hell Voldemort story. So, Joe, what do you got to say about can I, but I was just going to say my problem with his, and I feel like for the most part, Harry Potter, the franchise in general, has avoided religion. And so I think coming out and melding it right in the middle of, I mean, Christianity and Judaism and that level of religion, it's not going to make Harry Potter fans happy, especially non-Christian fans that they're basically like Harry Potter is like, yeah, Christianity is the real main. I mean, obviously there's the Christmas scenes, but for the most part, it doesn't deal with the actual belief in the religion itself. And like, there's not religious figures in Harry Potter. So putting like heaven and hell and the Satan in Harry Potter will probably piss off Harry Potter fans. But when you create it more mystical, I feel like it can be done well because there's a version of heaven and a version of hell in just about every religion, some type of it. And what I'm basically saying is these guys are the they're gonna they're gonna have 
essentially magical powers. So that's how they're going to kind of fit in um, to this world. And it's not, you know, they're, it's not going to necessarily be specified a religion or anything like that. It's just going to have, you know, the, the general steps. So my question, Bobby is, um, Voldemort's ultimate goal is to be immortal and never die because he fears death. If he knows that there's a devil and afterlife, what doesn't this completely destroy his entire motivation? Well, he wants to do that because he wants to rule over this wizarding world and these people. He kind of, yeah, it's, it's eternal life, but he also wants, he wants to live and be in control. If he goes down to hell or up to heaven or whatever, uh, he's going to be subject to another ruler and he does not like that. So he wants to be somewhere where he's all powerful and in control. Um, I just think this can show very, like a lot of strange, crazy magic and fun things that you couldn't do in most Harry Potter movies. And you can kind of, kind of treat it as a one-off, even though it exists in the real world, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily affect the other movies or anything because it was just during Voldemort's first reign. Um, doesn't touch any other Harry Potter characters. Does JK Rowling have anything to do with this movie? (laughs) She's a consultant, but she doesn't. J.K. Rowling has nothing oh, to do with my movie because okay, she's, she's. All right, we're going. We're going to the ruling because Bobby just lost his point. Uh, J.K. Rowling uh, is a terrible woman. I love the Harry Potter books, but everything she's done afterwards uh, involving Harry Potter with the Fantastic Beasts movie is complete garbage and goes against everything in in the book. Did you hear wrote. what I said? She's doing though. She's, not, she's consulting. No, she you should have said she, no. Because Terry Potter no, is involved, I, she has to. You, she's literally le- legally obligated to be. So and she's that's, not that's having that's the, problem. that's the problem. That was my final question, but I already had a, I already I had a decision. I was at this. Um, the idea of basically Statler and Waldorf as the roommates and little Nikki really sold me. I think that would be hilarious. I love that idea, especially with Adam driver as basically his character from Logan lucky, which he's so funny. And I was pretty sold on, on Joe's Bobby. You could have, you could have done something here to win if you didn't connect it to Voldemort and just made it in the wizarding world and made it a, made the devil's three sons, the Peveril brothers. I thought that's what you were going with. And I would have been like, Ooh, I really like that. But you went away from that. You involved Voldemort, and I feel like he doesn't fit in with this with this world. But if little Nikki was ignoticed and he had the, you know, the end was them getting the Deathly Hallows, I would have thought that was pretty cool. Um, and I thought it kind of fit into what you were pitching, but then you went a different way. So that's what I would have done with it. Um, I actually, my rule, I would have just cast Charlie Sheen as the devil, but I didn't think too much past that, but I thought he would have been funny as the devil and little Nikki. But I like the idea of Miss Piggy as the devil and um, Kermit as the angel. I think that would be a funny dynamic. So I'm not a big Muppets fan, but Joe's Muppets movie sold me. So Joe, I'm giving you the point on, uh, Hell yeah. on little Nikki. Yeah. Get it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I didn't mm. even then try that. <laughs> All right. Okay. So what's can, so we're all tied up. There we are. All right. I so uh, yeah, I, I'll I'll take our next movie. I'm gonna pick our Smokey and the Bandit is my next movie, right. and uh, I'll go first. All right. I'll read our uh, little description of it. Smokey and the Bandit came out in 1977. Rotten Tomatoes gives it an 80. percent It stars uh, Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, and Jackie Gleason. 
IMDb describes it as the bandit and his friend are hired to run a tractor trailer full of beer over state lines in hot pursuit by a pesky sheriff. Really all you need to know about it. It's a fun, fun little seventies movie. Yeah. All right. all right, Bobby, what do you got for me? Um, so, uh, I'm going to start with my cast on this one. So as my, uh, bandit who was Bo Dar, Bo, uh, the bandit Darville in the original by Burt Reynolds, I have Zendaya as Zoe instead of Bo for, uh, Cletus, the snowman snow, who was Jerry Reed. He was like the buddy going along on the trip. Um, I have Zach Efron. Um, as Sheriff Buford T. Justice or Smokey, who is Jackie Gleason, I have Hugh Jackman. And, oh, God, I know what you're doing and, already. And as Carrie, who is Sally Field, the runaway bride, I have Anna Kendrick. So as you might guess by my cast, I am turning this into a musical. Uh, so my director is going to be <laughs> yeah, Michael Gracie, who did uh, The Greatest Showman, and he also was a producer on Rocketman. He's done quite a few things, but he's very... You know, Greatest Showman may not have been the greatest story to tell, but it was the music was fantastic, and it has a good, uh, you know, um, I think the direction, the style works. But the, what you you have a really good story to work with. It's a really simple, easy plot. It's a fun buddy movie. Um, you're going to throw a little bit of romance in here with um, Zendaya and Zac Efron, where they have kind of a budding relationship instead of just a, just a couple buddies going on the trip. Um, they pick up Sally, or they pick up Carrie played by Anna Kendrick, and that is the basically the big uh, missed, you know, confusion as why they're getting chased by Hugh Jackman. But if you just have this fun across the, you know, across the state lines, fun movie, and you include a ton of fun like music involved, a lot of original music and singing, and Zendaya is just really compelling on her own. Zac Efron, they can all sing. You can have fun villain songs by Hugh Jackman. Um, I just think there's really no reason because it's kind of already a fun movie to to redo this. So when you if you make it a musical and just have a lot of new songs, I think it'll be a fun movie. You really don't have to do too much to the plot. It's already there. So add music, add some fun actors, and there you go. All right, that's one way to go with it. Joe, what are you, what did you do to uh, yeah. this movie? As someone who loves Smokey and the Bandit, I went a completely different direction. <laughs> um, I'll just start off by saying my director is Robert Rodriguez and my overall movie is more in the tone of like a machete or once upon a time in Mexico, where it's just like a super over the top action movie, super violent to the point of being comedic. And my cast for bandit, I cast Pedro Pascal uh, taking over from Burt Reynolds and for Cletus, AKA the snowman is where my rule comes in because I am casting Charlie Sheen as Cletus, AKA the snowman. For Carrie, uh, I cast Rosa Salazar, who worked with Robert Rodriguez on Alita Battle Angel, but I feel like this movie is a lot more in his wheelhouse than something like Alita Battle Angel. Uh, for U.S. Marshal Buford T. Justice, uh, it was they, Jackie Gleason was in the original uh, TV sitcom dad, so I went with another TV sitcom dad, John Goodman. I thought uh, you were saying Bill Cosby. <laughs> no. And for Junior, the another uh, guy that ride or another cop, I cast John Cena because it was like a big, tall, massive guy in the first one. So I cast another big, tall, massive guy that could be comedic. And so basically, uh, my movie's plot is generally the same. Two men are hired to transport an illegal product and have limited time to do it. However, instead of transporting beer across state lines from Texarkana 
to Atlanta, they are hired by Cheech and Chong playing themselves to transport a truckload of weed from Colorado to Austin, Texas, where the two men are the main hosts of the South by Southwest festival that year. Like I said, movies, uh, similar style and tone to that of Machete and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And basically to fit Charlie Sheen in more, the character of Cletus is not, instead of just like a rant, like simple, like random truck driver who's basically the bandit's friend, I'm just going to make him a super whacked out fucking cokehead because his name was the snowman in the original. And I guess the only reason because of that is he's white. Well, I'm going to make him the snowman in this one because he's fucking high on coke all the time. And then all throughout the movie, the two main characters are chased by the whole way back by U.S. Marshal Sh- uh, Buford T. Justice. So he's a sheriff in the first one, and I'm making him a U.S. Marshal in this one. And uh, yeah, that's my pitch for Smokey and the Bandit. All right. Um, I I don't have much to ask here, but uh, just attack each other. I yes. want you to take each other down. Yeah, so my main problem with yours is like people that watch musicals, if I were to make a Venn diagram of people that like musicals and people that like Smokey and the Bandit, it's two separate circles. I highly disagree. I'll I'll tell you that soon, but yeah. I just feel like there's not a lot of people out there that like musicals that are like, you know what kind of musical I want to see? Just a musical about guys transporting gear. So... Uh, one of those people is uh, my wife who actually loves Smokey and the Bandit and musicals. And actually I know quite a few people because Smokey and the Bandit is this fun road trip movie, essentially um, old school. And a lot of musicals are kind of in that same tone. So when you add music to it, I just feel like it's going to draw in a big audience. Um, Even if it's just those who love musicals, which, you know, that's already a big one. But uh, I think just the, the type of movie that Smokey and the Bandit is, um, I think music would fit really well. You're in a car, you're singing, you sing along to things all the time, constantly. So but the, the musicals have dancing and you can't really have big epic dance moves and like dance numbers in a, in a semi truck and a Trans Am. It's a musical. It's crazy. Stuff happens all the time. You can get out and have this stuff. They also pick up, but they're know, racing from the cops. So if every time they get out of their car to dance, I'm going to be like, but what about the cop? That's they can also them? dance on the car and in while it's car, driving and, away from the yeah. cops. It's a musical that has a lot of fun stuff anyways. I mean, you're going to have, you know, they're still chasing each other down, but you can do so many creative things to actually have these music numbers, to have it be involved. And it doesn't have to be this big, crazy dance number. Not every musical has every single song is this big dance number. You can include it in it and it can be there, but it doesn't have to be every single time there's a, there's a song. Um, but the, the, the plot of the movie propels it along at such a good pace that music is just going to make it feel like a breeze. Like it's going to be a really easy watch. Um, and you have two really compelling people that like actors with Zendaya and Zac Efron in there that are going to draw people. I have Pedro Pascal and Charlie Sheen. Yeah. So my thing with yours is, so I, I just don't know why you would like, I don't know why this the tone for Machete and all that would work as well for Smokey and the Bandit, especially like because it's, it's act- car chases, it's action. It's yeah, guys- but Robert Rodriguez. What also? When is the last actually good movie he's done? Um, I don't think he's made a movie in that tone that's worked in a long time. Machete even kills before- whenever that came out. And even that, I don't think was as well received as the first one. But that was also a while ago. 
He, the last thing yeah, he did, he, want, he, he like he did the movies in those tone, and then he went away from that. What I'm saying is, he needs to go back to it and make those type of movies again because that's what he's best at, and not Alita: Battle Angel and whatever other non-good movies he's done. All right, all right, you two, I've heard enough. Now, I thought, I thought as soon as Bobby cast Zendaya, I was like. Ooh, he's pandering to me big time because I love Zendaya more than any other actress, maybe other than uh, Rosa Salazar. And Joe pandered to me way more than Bobby did because The Greatest Showman is hot trash, and I hate it (laughs) so much. So Bobby went from picking Zendaya, and I was like, ooh, I'm on board. Anything Zendaya's in. Ooh, except for The Greatest Showman, I think that movie sucks serious ass so for that reason joe everything you did was complete pandering to me and i thank you for it because i want to see a cheech and chong smoky and the bandit with just fun action i love pedro pascal charlie sheen fits into the role you put him in i love rosa salazar to death john goodman's amazing and i love john cena so everything joe did pandered to me and bobby went with like the cast of a movie that was straight garbage and I hate it for existing. So I'm going to go with Joe's version of Cheech and Chong's Smokey and the Bandit. That's the victor today. Interesting. All right, Bobby, you're going to, you're going to need yeah. to uh, make a comeback here and also need to understand your judge a little more based <laughs> yeah, on that so, last pitch. Yeah. You, you get stuck on so many small things because I also mentioned other things he was involved in, but, and that he's not writing or anything with this movie. I, I just don't, I just don't like the fit of Smokey and the Bandit being a musical. I would, I agree with Joe that no one, no one going to see a Smokey and the Bandit movie likes to see a musical and people going to see a musical don't need to see people transporting beer. I, I don't think that that really fit fit to your thing and i think you cast the wrong and if you were going to do it as a musical i think making it more like like country style like uh a star is born type music i think would work better and you went with the basically i picture yours with the same type of music as the greatest showman which i don't think fits the tone even Mm -hmm. if it's like fun music to listen to it doesn't fit with smoking the bandit so bobby you were down two to one you need to pick a good pitch to win me win me over here all right, so I'm gonna I'll go with uh, Seven Samurai, and I'm gonna let Joe go first. Okay, that that that's something. I'm either gonna win this one, or I'm gonna fucking go down in flames. But I'm gonna go out swinging. So my Seven Samurai. Well, then, do we uh, want Johnny to to do the? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I Sorry keep forgetting. That. Thank you for reminding me. See, maybe being a judge is hard. Only that part, though. All right, Seven Samurai is a uh, Kurosawa film from 1954. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm interested to see how either of these two improve a movie that has 100%. It's essentially about a poor village under attack by bandits. Uh, They recruit seven unemployed samurai to help them uh, defend the village and their, their lives from these bandits. It's a simple story. It was the basis for Magnificent Seven, both versions of that. Um... And all Kurosawa films are basically the inspiration for almost all action movies you see nowadays. So I'm interested to see what you guys did with it. All right. Uh, I accidentally closed out of the thing. And and, uh, so. (laughs) My my girlfriend says big fan of Zendaya. So I am too, but not the greatest showman. 
All right, so my seven samurai, or as I have renamed it, the seven sorcerers, because I have set my seven. The rule I'm using is I'm setting it in the world of Harry Potter. Now my director is Justin Lin, and I have seven cast members, and I didn't come up with new wizard names. So here's just my cast for the seven sorcerers. Uh, we have Lashana Lynch, who was in, uh, who played uh, Carol Danvers' friend in Captain Marvel. And she's going to be the new 007 in the new James Bond movie since James Bond is retired. I have Who Tom knows? Spoiler alert for 007. No one knows that yet. Oh, okay, whatever. And then I have uh, Tom Holland, who's the current Spider-Man. I have Rachel Weiss. She was in The Favorite. Uh, she was in the uh, Brendan Fraser Mummy movies. I have Benedict Wong, who plays Wong in... Uh, uh, Doctor Strange. I have Olivia Coleman. She was in The Favorite as well. And she was also in uh, uh, something. Oh, she's in the, the Crown on Netflix. I have Ben Kingsley. And then I have Henry Cavill, who's the current uh, Superman. And anyways, oh, and my villain for this movie is Idris Elba. And like I said, my director is Justin Lin. And I wanted him as my director because I think he can do for Harry Potter uh, what he did for Star Trek and Star Trek Beyond. He had a story and style that made Star Trek fans happy, but he injected a new style and good action that made, made an entertaining movie for non-Star uh, Trek fans. And I want my wand battles to be more than two guys pointing six at each other and the winner is whoever stares at the other the hardest. Uh, and also, he was born in Asia, and he can put some Asian flavor to keep this movie connected to its roots as a Seven Samurai reboot. Now, for my plot. Many years before Harry Potter enrolled at Hogwarts, an evil wizard tries taking over an area of England filled with untrained witches and wizards. They hire a powerful and brave wizard in the area, played by Henry Cavill, to protect them. But since the evil wizard has a group of followers, he knows he can't beat them alone, so he gets six other powerful wizards. The seven wizards train the villagers in how to protect themselves for when Idris Elba's character and his followers return. And they do return, and there's a massive battle. Tom Holland's character dies, Benedict Wong's character dies, and so does Lashana Lynch's character. After the evil wizard is defeated, only four of the seven characters are left alive. Godric Gryffindor, played by Henry Cavill, Salazar Slytherin, played by Ben Kingsley, Helga Hufflepuff, played by Olivia Colman, and Rowena Ravenclaw, played by Rachel Weiss. The four of them decide to train future wizards in case an evil wizard tries to rise again and they aren't there to protect the innocent. And that is my pitch for Seven Samurai, a.k.a. the Seven Sorcerers. All right. Okay, that's one direction to go. I'm interested to see uh, what Bobby did with this. I doubt you used the same rule here because Bobby already used his Harry Potter rule. <laughs> yep. Um, so my movie I also did rename. So yours is the Seven Sorcerers. Mine is the Seven Ninjas. Um, so this is going to be similar, but the, uh, there's a reason I'm choosing ninjas here. Um, the director of my movie is going to be Gareth Evans, who did the Raid movies, and this is going to be a foreign film. So this is still oh, yeah. going to be Japanese, um, like the original. Uh, and the reason I chose Ninjas, one, every time they remake this movie, they tend to choose a different setting. And also, you keep the same general style of Japan while changing the style of fight, because this movie is going to be NC-17, so this is going to be a balls-to-the-wall, foreign, raid-style action movie directed by Gareth Evans with insane violence. It's going to be cut from a three and a half hours to just about two hours because this story can be told in a much shorter way, um, you know, in modern, if we're modern retelling. For my cast, uh, I don't know if the names are going to mean too much, but I have Ryuhei Matsuda, who is in The Raid 2, 
I have Hiroyuki Sanada, who is in the Wolverine, Endgame, and Westworld. I have Ryo Case, from, he is from Letters of Iwo Jima. Uh, I have Shota Samatani, Shota Tani, who's a younger actor. Uh, he's around in, the, in his 20s, kind of an up-and-coming actor in Japan. I have Abizo Ichikawa, who is uh, in the movie Blade of the Immortal, uh, a Japanese action movie. And then I have one of the older ones who's going to be more of like a mentor guy that gets recruited is going to be Ken Watanabe. Uh, then I also have Joe Taslim from The Raid and Furious 6. So this is going to be, uh, like I said, ninjas. Ninjas, when I did some research, they're known to not have the honor of samurai quite when they fight. So as you know, there's a lot more stealth and traps. So they can do some pretty brutal things to people as they fight. Um, so that's where the NC-17 is going to come in and all the crazy fight scenes. Um, it takes place in the 15th century in a small village near Koga, where ninjas were prevalent in that time. Um, an army of bandits threatened to take over the town and profit from the crops grown uh, during the recent harvest. Um, a dishonored ninja, played by Ryuhei Matsada, has been working as a mercenary and is approached by an acquaintance from the town. Uh, it then plays out like similarly to Seven Samurai, where he goes on a recruiting mission and gets some people that are still in the clan that he worked with that he maybe saved their lives and they owe him. Um, as well as others that were dishonored and disavowed from the clan to help uh, rescue this town. So it's just going to be a crazy balls to ball action movie. There's going to be a few more action scenes throughout the movie. So on his trip to recruit, you're going to throw in a few more fights so that it's a little bit more paced like an action movie. Um, and then obviously the big fight at the end when the bandits come into town. Um, so this is just going to be, like I said, a, uh, Pretty faithful retelling, but just amped up to the next level. All right. All right. Interested uh, in that one. Joe, my question for you is, are you going to reveal that it's like the Hufflepuff and Slytherin? Yeah, like for, for, for the sake of the movie, like people know, like when it's marketed as like, hey, watch the four like founders of Hogwarts in this movie. But just for the sake of my pitch, I decided to make it a reveal. Okay. All right. And then Bobby, um, I I do really like your pitch. You've pandered to me way better than the last one because I love Gareth Evans. My my biggest question is um, why, why change it from samurai when I feel like they can have more violent kills? I know they're more honorable, but killing someone with like a katana straight up cutting their limbs off seems more violent to me than like stealth ninja kills. So tell me what your kills are are going to so, be like, and why is it NC-17? The, so the kills, when you're stealthy, you can do some more brutal things when people are not expecting it, including traps. So people can, can can get completely smashed by, you know, traps that are set up maybe by Ken Watanabe, who's one of the more um, experienced ones who can't quite fight on his own. You can, you can sneak up to do some throat slitting type things with the ninjas. Uh, you can stab people through the back of the head stealthily so you can see the sword coming straight through the head into the camera type stuff as they're coming from behind. Samurais go up right up to them and they fight honorably right straight on. Um, and the, and also because of Gareth Evans' style of his action, he fits way better with ninjas fighting than he would with samurai. Ninjas will use anything around them for a fight, um, including, you know, just scraps of metal that they may find and things like that that can be a little bit more brutal than just a straight up sword and armor kind of fight. Yeah. All right. Oh, um, and I forgot to add one thing too, is because to keep in tradition with the seven samurai and the sword fights, uh, Godric Gryffindor famous for having the sword of Gryffindor. So we do get to see him use his sword in the movie. 
So there are some sword fights. I do like that. Um, all right. Uh, those are my questions for you guys. Uh, just Let's just see what you guys have to say uh, about each other's movies real quick. But one of my biggest issues, Joe, with yours is your director choice of Justin Lin. Um, even the movies of his that I like, which is pretty much just Star Trek Beyond, um, it's a very surface kind of movie. And Seven Samurai is, is known to be one of the greatest movies of all time. And if you're just kind of surface level telling this story, but set in Harry Potter, I don't find that very interesting. I don't want it to be similar to the Fast and Furious movies at all. Um, anything like that with the action, even um, with that tone. Uh, and Star Trek Beyond was, it was fine. It was a, it was a good movie. It was fine. But, you know, it, there's nothing special about that director choice to me. I just, I think there's more deepness, more deepness. That's grammar. More to, depth. There we go. There we go. More depth to his movies than you're letting on with the whole Idris Elba as the villain in uh, Star Trek Beyond and basically turning into a monster to preserve his life. Then, and just to say, it's like, oh, like Star Trek Beyond was a surface level Fast and Furious movie, which I think comes more from the writing than the director. And I didn't say Justin Lin is writing this movie. He's just directing it. Which one, which did Justin Lin do the one where Paul Walker died? The Fast no, and that Furious was movie? Uh, James Wan. Okay, Justin so did most of the other he, ones. He did, he did the Fast Five and Fast Six or whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, unless there's more to add, I think I have my ruling here. Unless yeah, the only thing I have to say against about. his movie is I'd rather. I mean, I obviously know the rule isn't or like the show isn't like, hey, what movie do you want to see Gareth Edwards do next? But I'd just rather see Gareth Edwards do the Raid Three than and Seven Ninjas. Yeah. All right. Now I think that's a fair point, but I also think that I've seen the Raid and the Raid Two or two of my favorite foreign films ever made and i i of course i'd be excited for the raid three but i need gareth evans to just move on from that franchise and start doing other movies so i do like that uh bobby cast him as the director of this because again the raid three would love to see it but gareth evans i need him to show me that he can do that in other franchises i was a little turned off by the ninja thing at first because i've been playing ghost of tsushima all week and i'm obsessed with samurai (laughs) But Gareth Evans does uh, direct hand-to-hand combat so well, and I think that ninjas are better for his style, so I agree with Bobby on that one. Um, I think I think in the end I would be more excited. I like Bobby's cast better. I like that he kept it a Japanese movie. I love his director. I don't give a shit about Justin Lin, and I don't love Joe's cast, and I don't think in any universe his cast actually exists in a movie. It's got... Too many big stars. I know the like Magnificent Seven had a decent amount of like famous people because Chris Pratt was in it, but like Henry Cavill, Idris Elba, all these people like Tom Holland. Like I just don't see an actual studio doing these things, so it doesn't feel very real to me. And I'd much rather see ninjas fighting than wizards fighting because the worst thing in the Harry Potter movies. I know Joe said that they'd have a sword, but the worst thing in the Harry Potter movies is all the actual wand fights. So I don't need to see two hours of of boring wand fights that are just ripoffs of like Dragon Ball Z, you know, my beam is bigger than your beam. So I'm going to give that point to Bobby. So the game is all tied up again. Good, good pick on that one, Bobby. Yeah, I got nervous as soon as he said uh, seven ninjas. I'm like, I know exactly where he's going with this and it's nowhere that's good for me. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah I, that, I like that. That was very pandering. That was me. That, knowing, yeah. Yeah. You know, you guys know me well. Bobby, I was worried that he didn't know my movie taste well with The Greatest yeah. Showman, but that, that one, one, that one I, proved yeah, to be, that one for to me. be right. That one was for me more than you. Yeah, right, well. I mean, you know what? I'm going to go, since it's my pick, since I lost, I'm going to go for 127 hours. And, uh, All right. This is the one I've been most excited for. I'm going to go first, I think. Yeah, I'll go first. All right. So, yeah. Well, okay. 100, on that? Um, 127 hours is from 2010. Uh, the Rotten Tomato score was 93%. All you need to know is that it stars James Franco. It's about a mountain climber. Uh, he becomes trapped under a boulder while hiking alone near Moab, Utah, and resorts to desperate measures to, in order to survive. I've uh, never seen it, but it's great. So I'm <laughs> interested to see what you guys have to say about it. All right. Yeah, I've seen this movie once, and it was in like 2011. So, anyways, I'll just start off by saying I'm, the rule I am enacting is I am making this movie a Charlie Chaplin movie. My director is Charlie Chaplin, and the only person I cast is Charlie Chaplin. And so essentially, I'm turning this serious drama about a guy that has to cut off his arm into a comedy. It's got lots of visual gags. Movie starts off, Chaplin, as the little tramp, is walking in the desert, and he tries to do a little flip to impress a girl he sees. But he slips and falls into a crevice, and his arm is trapped under a rock. We have many comedic moments where he tries to lift the boulder off of his arm, uh, and he gets it free, but accidentally causes another rock to trap his other arm. Uh, some people walk by and he tries to get them to help, but they accidentally make things worse. A bear walks by and he tries to scare it away. Uh, eventually he gets his arm free and he finds the girl he was trying to impress, but she is uh, with another guy. It's a Chaplin movie, so if you're like, I can't watch this guy be trapped under a rock for two hours, well, they're usually about an hour and 15 to an hour 30. And that's my pitch for 127 hours. Written, directed, and starring Charlie Chaplin. All right, Bobby, let's, uh, let's hear what you got to say. Um, so my movie, uh, I'm going to, I needed a director that is, has experience telling at least a story in a very confined space, um, and also makes a, a variety of tones of movies and it can be entertaining no matter what he does. So I chose Ryan Johnson. Um, so, you know, if you picture his episode, the fly from breaking bad, where it's in a very contained area, um, but he can also do kind of the dark tones as looper. So he can have comedy, he can have drama, he can mix it in. And that mix is important because my cast is Charlie Sheen. So my movie is going to be um, basically Charlie Sheen is a drug addict who is dumped out in the desert after a drug deal gone wrong. So he's outside of Vegas. So the desert right outside of Vegas, he's left to die in the desert, Nevada and falls down into a small, small canyon and is pinned by a rock, just like 127 hours. He is a heroin addict coming down from a high. So he's going through withdrawals. Ryan Johnson can show the darkness and comedy of this because it will be, he, Charlie Sheen will be very loopy um, and having, uh, you know, basically it's a traumatic experience, but you can have Charlie Sheen's craziness come out in this role. Um, He does have a switchblade in his pocket that he brought along with him that he does not want to use. And, and as he comes down from his high, he realizes this is going to be the only time he, he will be forced to be away from drugs for an extended period of time. So he treats it as his rehab. Um, he considers letting himself die, but realizes he has a lot to live for and can turn his life around. Um, he realizes how drugs and heroin has crept into his life and has affected his relationship with his ex-wife and kid. 
Um, so he ends up cutting his arm off to make his way back to Vegas. Um, and it does not, it just gives you the hope that he would turn his life around. It doesn't quite show what he does, but because of his self-realization, you just have the hope that he goes back and uh, changes his life. All right. All right. Um, Joe, my question for you is how does Charlie Chaplin free his arm or arms? Uh, he pushes the people come by and help him lift the rock off. He, or, Cause I have like a, I forgot. I have a joke in there where he cuts his arm off like the original, but the knife like breaks on his arm. And so he can't cut his arm off. Okay. So then eventually people just like come free him. Yeah. Cause I'm okay, like, it's a then- Charlie Chaplin movie. I can't have like a gruesome moment where he like cuts his arm off. Okay, and then Bobby, um, I I think your your movie sounds good, but Ryan Johnson I don't think is capable of making a movie without political undertones. Are you going to have political undertones in your in your film? Um, Maybe about drug use or you yeah. Know, how I mean, be, because of I, I think that's kind of implied with the whole drugs and how he's treating it with his, like how he is with his family. It, it, cause it's not always political things with Ryan Johnson. It's also social yeah. um, aspects that he brings in. So that'll be the the thing that he's commenting on in this, because that's one of the heavy aspects of the movie um, is his drug use. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. What do you, what do you guys got to say about each other's movies? I just, I just don't know if a movie with Charlie Sheen for an hour forty-five, two hours, is gonna be like entertaining. Other than like the way the room is entertaining, like I just don't see a way in Charlie Sheen being in a one-man show is good. Like he had that concert thing like ten years ago where people came and saw, but people didn't come and see it because it's like, oh, this is like a great show. They went and saw it because it was like a train wreck. So with that's one reason that Ryan Johnson, I think, fits really well, because he has such a unique style that he can bring to his movies. And with his writing, it's going to make Charlie Sheen entertaining because it's not Charlie Sheen just spouting random things about winning um, and whatever kind of blood he was talking about. And He's got in, tiger blood and Adonis DNA. Yeah. So um, it's you can let Charlie Sheen go a little crazy, but he's you know, he has this great dialogue and um, things that Ryan Johnson writes. Um, and also, uh, Charlie Sheen's a better actor than he gets credit for. I feel like he can pull off at least the level of drama that you need. It's not because this is going to be it's a dramedy where it has comedy. It, it has it's a black dramedy, if you call it. So it's dark humor um, with a very heavy, dr- dramatic, like, you know, uh, theme to the movie. Um, and I feel like Charlie Sheen can entertain you for this is going to be like an hour and a half movie because you really don't need that long of someone you know, trapped under, under a rock. Um, but you know, I just, I think Charlie Sheen for that amount of time works, especially with the style of Ryan Johnson. Um, and with yours, I just, you know, again, like you said, Oh, well, how, how can it's just a silent movie in in one setting like that? I, I don't know if that's as interesting and you're also trapping Charlie Sheen or sorry, Charlie Sheen, you're trapping Charlie Chaplin and one of his big, things that he does is a lot of the physical, physical comedy and, you know, movements and stuff that he does. And you're, you're trapping him in one little spot. I know you're saying he's going to move a little bit and he's going to like free one arm and like little things, but you're confining one of the major parts of a silent movie that are important. And as well as to Charlie Chaplin movie, but you're still getting his expressions. You're still getting, and I think that's part of it is you're taking the greatest physical comedian of all time. And you're basically forcing like one limb not to operate. And he's still, I feel like of all people, Charlie Chaplin can find a way to still make it funny and still be a great physical comedian. 
Yeah, it's still just it's still too limiting for me. I just don't know if that would um, you could really follow it for that long without him being free for an extended period of time. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand why someone would feel that way, but I also understand why I see it the way I see it and why I think I'm right. I think I got a, mm-hmm. uh, a good idea of both your movies. I don't think there's anything else that really, really needs to be said. Um, I, I think Ryan Johnson needs a big comeback in his directing. I mean, I know Knives Out was a huge success and people liked it, but I was disappointed by it. And The Last Jedi at the time I thought was a good movie, but now with Rise of Skywalker existing, that whole franchise is dead to me. Um, so he needs, he needs a good movie. And I don't think, I don't think Charlie Sheen can act anymore. I mean, if this was maybe in the nineties, maybe I could see it. Um, but I do like Bobby's idea of it being dealing with a a guy on drugs and things like that. And having to basically be forced to be sober. I think that is a very compelling story, more of a compelling story than the actual 127 hours and more of a compelling story than Joe's plot but the rule i had chosen for this movie was charlie chaplin movie i thought it fit perfectly um joe it feels very much like safety last except instead of climbing a building it's charlie chaplin and he is trapped under you know rocks i I like i like the idea of him being a physical comedian trapped under rocks i don't necessarily like all the people interacting with him because 127 hours is more about one person's fight for survival and Charlie Chaplin, there's probably no one more compelling than doing a silent film without, you know, you don't need any dialogue in 127 hours after the person falls. So it works as a silent movie, but Charlie Chaplin, I, I, the only thing I didn't love about Joe's pitch was all the interactions he had with things, but I do like the jokes that he had of, you know, like a bear coming by and he tries to scare it away, but then it maybe attacks him. And I like the joke about him you know, actually making the decision to cut his arm off and then like the knife breaks. So in the end, you know, this, this was a, this was a tough one, but I just think that Charlie Sheen just can't act. And I would rather see Ryan Johnson go back to doing something like Looper and doing something sci-fi rather than making a movie about, you know, Charlie Sheen on drugs. So I, I'm going to award this point to, to Joe. So it's uh What's the what's the score now, Joe? Three two. Uh, yeah, yeah, three two. Three three to two, Joe. Bobby, I would have liked yours better, even if you pitched maybe Rodrigo Cortez, who did Buried instead of Ryan Johnson. I just didn't see that fit as as much. But I but I liked the story, and then I just felt like Charlie Sheen can't yeah. carry a movie. I, I considered that, but Ryan Johnson has a better style than uh, Buried. You're focusing only on the performance, basically, of Ryan Reynolds, and you can't focus only on the performance of Charlie Sheen. So. That's why I yeah. went with Johnson. No, I get that. Yeah, I just thought I just liked the uh, the Charlie Chaplin idea. So, Bobby, what do we what do we got next? Let's tie this thing up. All right. All right. So uh, let's let's do the Rock. Right. Um, and uh, uh, I'll go first. All right. So the Rock came out in 90, 1996. It is not about Dwayne Johnson. There is a movie called The Rock. For those of you who have not seen it, it's got a Rotten Tomato score of sixty six percent. It's one of Michael Bay's best movies. He directed it. Um, it stars Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, and Ed Harris. Um, IMDb describes it as a mild-mannered chemist and an ex-con must lead a counter-strike when a rogue group of military men, led by a renegade general, 
threaten a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz against San Francisco. Okay. So uh, the, the beautiful thing about the plot of The Rock is they never really tell you what year it takes place, but it has to take place when Alcatraz was still operating. Uh, so the last time that happened was in the 1960s. So I'm going to make this movie a 1960s movie. Um, so my director, I have George Roy Hill, who did The Sting, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, as well as Lap Chot later in his career. Um, and as for my cast, I have um, as FBI agent Dr. Stanley Goodspeed, who is Nicolas Cage. I have Robert Redford. And for uh, SAS Captain John Patrick Mason, who is Sean Connery, I have Paul Newman. Uh, so it's a teaming of that famous duo. Um, and in the Ed Harris role of Frank Hummel, the, the villain, I have Jack Lemmon. You get, you get to see him play a villain. So the, you really don't need to change a lot of the plot of this movie because the technology still all works. Um, it's they have to invade Alcatraz to stop Hummel from blowing up San Francisco. And he's and he's holding it hostage as he looks to receive one hundred million dollars from the government. But what this does is it gets you get to reteam two of the most famous actors that worked together in movies of all time and Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Um, you get to see their interactions. And, it, and so you can keep that same fun tone, uh, you know, as you would in um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid um, and even throw in some humor because, you know, the director had also done Slapshot. So you can keep a lot of the fun craziness and also have two just charismatic, great, legendary actors in this role. All right, Joe, what do you got? All right, so for my version of The Rock, I decided I'm going full-on Oscar bait. So that's the rule I'm using. I'm making this movie 100% Oscar bait. My director is Catherine Bigelow, uh, who did Point Break, but mainly I put her because she did uh, Zero Dark Thirty. And The Hurt Locker. And The Hurt Locker. Uh, My cast as Stanley Goodspeed, originally played by Nicolas Cage, is now Bradley Cooper. Uh, My John Mason, originally Sean Connery, is now Daniel Day-Lewis. My General Hummer or Hummel was uh, Ed Harris, uh, is now Denzel Washington. Uh, my Major Tom Baxter, who is David Morse, is now Matt Damon. And my Commander Charles Anderson, who was originally Michael Bean, is now Sam Rockwell. Now, my plot is pretty much the same. A group of guys take over Alcatraz uh, to get ransom for soldiers who they feel were disserviced by the U.S. government. However, I am making, I'm putting the focus a lot more on the soldiers and making them a lot more sympathetic. The opening scene is one of those soldiers' missions where they are abandoned by the government and lose half of their team. It's shot similarly to the opening of Saving Private Ryan, but it's a more modern battle style. Uh, We see them return home after taking out a big-time terrorist and going back to their bad homes and bad neighborhoods. Hummel visits the family of one of the guys under his command who died and sees her living in government housing, and she is working as a stripper to make ends meet. Hummel hatches a plan to take over Alcatraz and take the tourists hostage. The movie is from their perspective with Mason and Goodspeed as government agents set to return the status quo. The movie ends with Mason and Goodspeed succeeding and the status quo returning. It's still an action movie, but it's closer to that of Fury or Zero Dark Thirty or Saving Private Ryan and less of an over-the-top 90s movie. All right. Interesting. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you, Joe, how much action it included. You kind of answered that with the last question by comparing it to, to those movies. Um, Bobby, my, my one question to you, I understand your movie and I like your cast, but 
I feel like Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery had that great interaction of like uh, an experienced ex-con and like this younger guy. It, do you feel like the age difference is big enough between Radford and, and uh, Paul Newman to kind of capture that same magic? Um, I do, because you can still have him be experienced in that field a lot more, because uh, Paul Newman was about 10, 10 years, he's about 10 years older than Robert Redford. Um, so you can still portray that. You can also age him up a little bit if you really want to get that experienced look. Um, but yeah, I mean, really the whole thing is you have a much more experienced guy and someone who might be a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more raw. And I think you can still get that across, even just with plotting of the movie. Okay. Um, I, I think my biggest question for both of you, The Rock is a, just a great action movie. I think it has just enough action to keep you entertained throughout. And Joe, I know you compared it to Fury, but you said there's more focus on the characters. Tell me why yours has enough, you know, why it's an Oscar movie when it's also an action movie. And Bobby, tell me how yours has enough action because it's a 1960s movie and it has 60s pacing and plotting why am i still interested so right, joe so, go first tell me so mine's still an oscar movie because it deals with like the theme of soldiers being abandoned by their government and a lot and we still open with scenes of like war scenes and we still have them taking over alcatraz and we still have all that but instead of seeing these guys as a villains we sympathize with them because we've seen their problems and their issues and the like Stanley Goodspeed and John Mason, instead of being these two heroes of the movie are two like government agent, you know, villains that we don't like because they represent the government who are trying to take away these guys like right to have a better life when they serve their country and they died and they like had to do these terrible things. Okay. Um, and so you can, I mean, 1960s still had quite a bit of fun action movies, especially the bond movies in the 1960s. If you want to compare it to that, uh, with the Sean Connery movies as far as uh, what you can do with action. Um, I mean, it's still these guys invading Alcatraz. So you're, you're there, there has to be action all the way through. And it's not like you have to do crazy um, special effects. It's these guys, you know, fighting different soldiers. Um, you can have a chase scene with cars if they get in there and they find a vehicle. You can do a lot of different things action-wise, um, you know, as they try to break in. Um, and really you're watching for these two two leads for the most part. Um, and just, you're still keeping the fun tone as the original. Cause that's my biggest problem with Joe's is this plot doesn't carry well. It doesn't do well for an Oscar movie. You want this to be a fun movie of them breaking into Alcatraz. I don't think even if you're focusing more on the soldiers that it's Oscar baby enough um, that would actually get them a win, you know, or get them even a nomination you might just make some kind of serious action movie, but it's not going to get a lot of attention. Uh, the plot doesn't, it's not heavy enough. It's not dramatic enough for that to actually work to me. Um, and yeah, it really just, my biggest problem is it's a, it does not sound like a fun movie that the rock is. Yeah. Cause I'm rebooting the rock as an Oscar bait movie. Oscar bait movies aren't fun. They're like these sad movies about soldiers coming home from war to like shitty lives. Which and is why I don't think this plot works for that. It's not. It's it's not. That's what. Enough. That's what happened to the the soldiers in the original The Rock as they come home, and they do all these missions, and they're abandoned by their government. And then in this movie, they're like, "Oh, they're the villains because they took over Alcatraz." And I'm like, "Yeah, are they really villains?" And that's why I put the movie from their perspective. Is 
Love it. Joe's doing the villain perspective yeah, role, so. and it doesn't even need to. Hmm. Um, all right. I, I don't know if there's really anything else you guys need to say about each other's movies. Um, I, I do think The Rock is a very fun movie um, in the 90s because of its action. I actually would have liked both of you to steer away from how much action is in it. Um, and honestly, I think Bobby might have done that better because I think the movie would be better for both rules if you steered away from having much action and maybe there was one or two set pieces. And and Bobby said, you know, the 60s Bond movies as an example of why it can still have action, but really those movies don't have much. And I actually think that helps you because I could see this movie with maybe one or two action set pieces like a Dr. No where there's the beginning is action and then the last scene is action, but there's not a ton in between. There's one or two pieces of it. Um, Joe, I just think, first of all, Dana Day-Lewis is retired and he's not coming out of retirement for your movie. And I don't think yours is Oscar baity enough. You have the cast, but there's no universe where the plot of The Rock becomes an Oscar bait type of story because it feels like a lesser version of saving private Ryan, as far as the soldiers interacting and that movie lost to freaking Shakespeare in love. So I think, I think, um, I think Bobby wins this one uh, for me because I think the flipping it to the villain's perspective weakens Joe's movie. And I would love another movie of Robert Redford and Paul Newman interacting with each other. So Bobby, you're sounded like a movie I'd rather see more. So I'm going to go with Bobby on this one. That ties it up at three to three. All right. Climbing back in there. Climbing Got back. Climbing back. Staying alive. I'm, I'm running into trouble here, though. I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with this. We did that. We did that. You know what? We're going to ride out high. We're going to do Greece, and I'm going to start. All right, perfect. Uh, Greece, for those of you who don't know, came out in 1978. In my opinion, it's the greatest musical ever made, so I'm very interested to hear what these two have to say. I listened to the soundtrack all the way through once every couple of weeks. I love all the music in that. So this has only a 75% of Rotten Tomatoes, which is way too low. Um, it's uh, good girl Sandy Olsen, played by Olivia Newton-John, and greaser Danny Zuko, John Travolta, fell in love over the summer. When they unexpectedly discover they're now in the same high school, will they be able to rekindle their romance? All right. So for my Grease, I was... Basically, I'll just start off by saying the original Grease was made in 1978 and set in 1958, 20 years earlier. So I'm going to do the same thing. Released in 2020, set in the year 2000. And so my director is Olivia Wilde, who I thought did a good job of showcasing uh, like private school LA kids. And so I want to see what she can do directing like regular public school LA kids in the year 2000. And she also had it. There was a scene in Booksmart where it switched from like regular just normalness to like a weird like dance between two characters and i thought it worked quite well so i want to see what she could do going from like normal scene to like singing and dancing and i feel like the overall tone when they're not singing and dancing is going to be pretty close to book smart for what i want anyway so that's why i chose her as my director now for my cast for my sandy i chose uh caitlin dever she was one of the main stars of book smart and she was also in the tim allen show last man standing uh, for my Danny, I chose 
Shamik Moore, who's the voice of Miles Morales in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and he was also the lead in Dope. Uh, for Mike Kanicki, who's kind of like the bad boy of Danny's group, and he's the boyfriend of Rizzo. I chose Cameron Monaghan. He was in Shameless, and he played Jerome in Gotham, and he's also the lead character in uh, Star Wars, the most recent Star Wars game. For my duty, I chose uh, Roddy Rich, who's a rapper, because I'm going to have a lot more modern type of music in this movie. Uh, for Sonny, I chose Ross Lynch. He was a Disney Channel kid. He played Jeffrey Dahmer and my friend Dahmer, and he's currently in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. For my Rizzo, I chose Zendaya, who's in the new Spider-Man movies. And for my Frenchie, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Alil Cravalho, who's in, uh, who plays Moana in Moana. And for my Marty, I chose Becky G. She's like a Latina singer, and she was in uh, she was the Yellow Ranger in the new Power Rangers movie. And for my Principal McGee and V, who are like the t- two like standout adult characters, they do the morning announcements, and they're like funny characters that funny adult characters that you remember. And this is where my rule comes in because I'm not only going to resurrect one career, I've decided to resurrect two acting careers. So for my principal McGee, I've chosen Alicia Silverstone from Clueless. And for my V, I chose Lacey Chabert from Mean Girls. Basically, I wanted someone who was, because this is an LA teen movie, I wanted someone who was an LA teen movie in the 90s and someone who was an LA teen movie from the 2000s. For my teen angel, who was originally Frankie Avalon, it's going to be Justin Timberlake. And my coach Calhoun is going to be Jason Sudeikis, basically uh, playing the role that he played in uh, trailer videos for the English Premier League on NBC of Ted Lasso. So he's basically going to be playing Ted Lasso as coach calhoun and for my music because it's going to be a lot of like it's basically going to be the original songs but like somewhat remixed and modernized where you can if you're listening to it you're like oh that's teenage or that's beauty school dropout but it has like a modern influence so i chose basically a team of ludwig ludwig Göransson, donald glover and max martinson uh ludwig Göransson has done basically all of donald glover's music and he also did the score for black panther for creed one and two and for The Mandalorian, and Max Martin has basically written every pop song since the year 2000. And now, it's very similar to the as the first, but I'm modernizing it. Uh, like I said, uh, the music and style will basically, the music of the movie will sound very much like 90s music and 2000s music of like that Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. Uh, and because I cast Caitlin Dever as Sandy, instead of her being from Australia, she's going to be from New York, just because I don't know if Caitlin Dever can do an Australian accent, and it really doesn't matter where she's from. And then in my version, Danny spends more of the movie trying to become a preppy jock to be more what he thinks Sandy wants. Sandy spends a lot of the film trying to be more like the girls Danny hangs out with, with what she thinks he wants. And then at the end of the movie, Sandy is dressed like the girls in Danny's friend group. And Danny is wearing a letterman jacket and says he has joined the baseball team. The two of them realize they don't need to change for each other and they can be who they are instead of being kind of the sexist thing that the original ends with where it's like, Oh, she completely changed who she was and now they can be together. Uh, The film overall is a lot more realistic and focuses more and like focuses on like the LA street racing scene of the early 2000s. So I thought as an homage to the first one, instead of the car flying off in the end, they hit like a jump with the car and it goes like into the air, but it doesn't straight out like fly. And that's my pitch for Greece. All right. Okay. Uh, Bobby, what do you got? 
All right. Uh, so my movie, uh, this director was brought up earlier, um, is going to be directed by James Bobin, because this is going to be a Muppet movie. This is going to be Muppets Grease. Um, so I cast a few of them, and you can fill a lot of them in with the other Muppet characters. But I have Kermit as Danny Zuko. I have Miss Piggy as Sandy. Um, I have Janice, who's like the rocker Muppet, as Rizzo. I have Fozzie as Kanicki's friend. I have uh, Rosita as Frenchie. Um, and you can throw in Gonzo and Animal and all the different characters. I also have um, the two judges. What are their names? I had them down. Batler and Waldorf. They're going to be two of the judges at the end uh, with a dance contest. So you get to see their commentary um, as that goes along. Um, and so mine is, yeah, it's the only human character in my movie is going to be uh, the principal uh, who's going to be a little bit more involved as far as like announcements and trying to keep people in line and just kind of being a little goofy. Uh, and that's going to be John Travolta. Uh, so John Travolta returns in this movie because it's just going to be a fun Muppet movie. You are not, I am not making the songs into modern pop songs because that sounds terrible. Uh, so it's just going to be the Muppets doing these, you know, the classic Grease songs. And that's going to make it fun because you're going to have the Muppet versions. Um, and yeah, you really don't need to change much because just by making it a Muppet movie, you, make, you change it and you make it a fun, you know, fun family, fun, friendly movie. All right. Um, okay. I have one question for each of you first. You can take your time on this one and tell me afterwards, but my favorite song in the original Grease is Beauty School Dropout, which was originally by Frankie Avalon in the live version that came out a few years ago. It was Boys to Men. I need to know... Very importantly, who is the guardian angel who does Beauty School Dropout in your movies? I thought um, it was uh, well, Justin Timberlake. Okay, Justin Timberlake. I like that. And Bobby, did you know yours, or do you want to take time on on that for a second? I don't know if it's a Muppet or if it's a human. I don't. I don't uh, really get it. Keeping my human really to be um, Travolta. Uh, Travolta. So my mentor is going to be Gonzo. I think that would be pretty fun. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, and then. Joe, explain to me why the year 2000, the style and everything is so different than nowadays, where like the original one, the 50s, you had the very clear greasers with the leather jackets. What's so different about the style and look of your movie than nowadays? And Bobby, yours is a Muppets movie, so are you obviously completely dropping all of the adult themes of Grease with you know, Rizzo needing to get an abortion and underage pregnancy yeah. and teenage pregnancy. Right. So I actually did, uh, like I wrote, I wrote that down. You can, you can like hint at adult things going on without even, without spelling it out. So, you know, it's not going to be a pregnancy scare, um, but it'll be something important that she's like freaking out about, you know? Um, so you can, people who know Greece will know what's going on and kids won't really get it. It'll go over okay. there. Right, and then, then, as far as the varying style, I mean, this, the looks were different. People like I was like, I still remember like that classic, like 2007 NBA or whatever it was draft class where they were all just like super baggy suits. Like people were super baggy clothes. They had, you know, the dyed fucking frosted tips. Like the music was very different. The look was very different. Like as we like, as you go year to year, it doesn't change much. But if you look back at like class photos from the year 2000, you're going to notice that it, people would not wear that today. Okay. All right. And then you two just uh, 
attack each other. I feel like the main how I feel about yours is it'd be like something like oh that they throw on ABC or something. It's like oh watch the Muppets do a version of Grease, but I don't know if it's like a viable movie that people would like go out and like care to see in theaters. Um, I think they would because Grease is just such a classic musical that people love, and people also do love the Muppets, and they will go to see them, you know, perform these songs. Um, parents will know that will know the story and want to show it to their kids in a way that might have less adult themes. Um, but yeah. And then my, my biggest issue with yours, there's a couple, one, the two thousands didn't quite have that separation of like the different, you know, there, there were the greasers and there were the preppy, like that didn't really exist. And that was a really big part of Greece. Um, and also, uh, I don't really think, 2000s pop like you said 2000s pop like britney spears pop music for these songs i'm going to tune out every time these songs come on i don't like that style if you said maybe 2000s pop punk 2000s um r&b i think that would have been i mean i mean it's like that era of music in general yeah but you really said it was mostly this yeah because i have like because i have like rap in there i have different genres of music more than just pop i know i only said pop but there when i wrote it out there was more than just like a britney spears and that's it and that's all the type of music we're doing yeah i just don't i don't know if those would hold people's interest as much uh especially if they were i feel like if you're gonna modernize the songs you either need to take it to now um well one of two things you either have to do the songs the same way that people know them or you have to take them to current to bring people in i don't think 2000s music is going to make people want to go see the movie very much like it, it that's not a very nostalgic era not nearly as much as say if you made it 80s rock or if you made it 90s uh rap um or if you made it current it's going to make a lot of kids nowadays want to go yeah. see it but i feel like that nostalgia is growing because it's like we had the strangest thing in the 80s and now you had jonah hill's mid 90s and it's just creeping along to eventually we're going to get to the point where people are nostalgic for that era of of time of the avril lavigne era of time of that type of music and that those shows and all that stuff's going to get started to get rebooted, rebooted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I like Joe's cast better because I, I, and I like Olivia Wilde directing. Um, Shamik Moore is a great choice, but I, I don't know. I mean, I know he did dope, but I'm not sure if he can really sing. And, and I think uh, one of the best things of, Greece was that like Travolta and all the people did their own songs. Do we looked, know that he, he can sing? He, yeah, he has a song out. I looked it up. Every everyone okay. I cast in singing roles like sings. Okay, um, and then and then my other thing is I, I kind of agree with Bobby that the year two thousand. While I like like, I think every decade has its own kind of style that really holds up, and I think the only thing from probably the two thousands is, is maybe it's R and B with like Mary J Blige and an artist like that and Fantasia. But I don't think much, I don't think in the history of all music that like the year 2000 will really stand the test of time. So going back to that era weakens it to me. I think your movie with the same cast as a nineties movie would have really worked because you could have gone with more nineties style and 2000 is really when that stuff became more boy bands and Britney Spears and, and that stuff. So the music was not very good. I think that's 
one of the weakest times in music history. Um, Bobby, I would have liked yours better. I put Grease. My rule I would have put was include the Muppets, but I would have made it more human characters and then include the Muppets in it. I don't love that you made every character Muppets, but I do love that John Travolta is in it. Um, so this is my toughest decision yet. Um, I I think that Justin Timberlake as the Frankie Avalon Beauty School Dropout is fine, but I, I just think Bobby sounds more fun because he can still do it as Muppets, but also have greasers and make it 50s. And I, and I think grease belongs in that era very much. It's called grease. You need greasers. If you make the greasers into baggy clothes, you know, and, and get rid of that whole thing, there's literally no point of calling it grease and you can make it a whole nother musical. So I actually think I'm going with, with Bobby on that one. All right. All right. So, so now it is four to three. Bobby's been making a, making a comeback in, in the latest, uh, in the latest movies. So, so Joe, what are we, what are we, what are we doing next? All right, just a second. I gotta update the scoreboard, which keeps changing on me and reverting to its old score <laughs> every time of two to two for some reason. So let me look over the board here. We've done Greece. Okay, we've done all those. We've done Little Nicky. We've done The Rock. Oh, you so you have two, Star, two movies left. You have Saw. You know what? And I don't. I don't want to end on my Saw pitch. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do Scarface. You don't want to end on your scar. Your Saw, so you're doing Scarface. Or sorry, I'd rather end on. You know what? We're gonna do Saw. I'm gonna do Saw because I might lose. Scarface. <laughs> you gotta stay alive. You need to win this point. Yeah. It's, All right. So, Joe, the, the score. Sorry, you have. Uh, you have four three Joe. It's four three Bobby right now. Oh my bad. Oh man, I guess I should right. be control the scoreboard. <laughs> Don't like that. Right. You oh. can, you can uh, give us your history of Saw while I update it. All right, Joe's updating that. Saw came out in two thousand four. Toronto Tomato score is forty nine percent, which I think is a little low. I, I have a fondness for for probably the first two Saw movies, but nothing after that. Um, it stars uh, the Princess Bride's Carrie uh, Elways, which still shocks me to this day. I always forget he's in this. Uh, Danny Glover and Lee Winnell. It's about two strangers. They awaken in a room with no recollection of how they got there, and they soon discover their pawns in a deadly game perpetrated by a notorious serial killer. So uh, who's going first on this one? I, uh, I'll go first. So All right, I'll, Joe, I'll, I'll start by saying when when this started and I had – Two movies left and two rules. And I thought I was going to just basically forfeit my point on this one. But as I got to writing and coming up with my idea, I actually really liked what I ended up with. Because my last two movies and last two rules I had were Little Nicky and Saw. And the rules were make one a Muppet movie and make one a musical. So I am stuck making Saw a musical. But I actually like what I did. So, and that's the rule I'm using is I'm making this musical. And my director is Lee Winnell. He wrote the first one. He starred in the first one. And he's gone on to be a pretty good director with uh, The Invisible Man. And he essentially, my composer I chose is Trent Reznor, who's essentially going to be a like a glorified composer, almost uh, co-director, because he's going to be mostly in charge of the music here. Now, 
as my Dr. Lawrence Gordon, I chose Ewan McGregor, who we know can sing because he was in Moulin Rouge, which is a movie people have opinions about. Me, not a good one. Uh, for my Adam, I have Nick Jonas, who's obviously a singer in the Jonas Brothers, but he gave a good performance in Jumanji and a good enough performance that he can be at least as good as Lee Winnell was in the first Saw. For my detective, David Tapp, it was uh, Danny Glover in the first, and I chose Lenny Kravitz, who's a rock star, but he's has acted in movies like Precious and The Hunger Games and Lee Daniels, The Butler. Uh, in the first one, I believe it was uh, Detective Steven Singh, but I changed it to Detective Stephanie Singh because there was only dudes in this movie and I wanted to inject some estrogen, so I cast Haley Kiyoko as Detective Stephanie Singh. And for my John Kramer... I went with a little interesting choice. I cast Ozzy Osbourne as John Kramer. And and to make Saw musical, I had to change the plot a decent amount. So Dr. Lawrence Gordon is a top surgeon in his field who is also a talented rock singer in a middling band with his friends from college. Adam is a promising baseball star who was just drafted by the Angels, but will have to quit his rock band, which played Coachella last year. The two are kidnapped and placed in a room, both of them having an arm chained to opposing walls. Between them is a man who appears to be dead, John Kramer. Throughout the movie, the two learn that the man from them is John Kramer, the former lead singer of Saw, the most popular metal band in the world. They are both being offered the chance to replace him, but they have to prove they are metal enough and worthy of the job. However, the price of fame is costly. The first to cut off their arm and escape gets to live out their dream of being the front man of the best rock band in the world. And losing their arm, they will be sacrificing their current career. The doctor will never be able to be a surgeon again, and the baseball player will never be able to hold a bat again. Meanwhile, two detectives are investigating their disappearance. After they cut off their arms, the dead man in between them, John Kramer, stands up. He is still alive. There is no job opening. However, both are now forced to follow their dreams and give up plan B. Throughout the movie, everyone is singing classic and contemporary rock and metal songs. So here are some examples. When they first awake, Gordon and Adam sing Crazy Train by Black Sabbath. During the video that plays that shows Adam and Gordon their opportunity and what they will have to do to achieve it, John Kramer sings Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. When the detectives interview the other bandmates, they sing You've Got Another Thing Coming by Judas Priest. And when Gordon and Adam try to escape, they sing Jailbreak by ACDC. And when they cut off their arms, they sing Painkiller by Judas Priest. And that is my pitch for Saw the Musical. One correction. Crazy Train is not by Black Sabbath. It's by Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, my um, bad. But, yeah. all right, Bobby, what do you got for me? All right. Um, one second. So, all right. Yeah, very different pitch than what I did. Uh, but I did change the tone of my Saw movie a decent amount. Because I'm going to make this into an Oscar bait movie. Um, and you would think that you would go pretty serious. But I feel like if you take Saw seriously again, it just becomes torture porn. So it's going to be an, the direct, by director Adam McKay, who did the big short, um, as well as Vice. He's been doing these Oscar movies lately. Um, trying to push for that, and it also includes a lot of political uh, aspects to his his films. So my um, my characters, I you know, I'm changing the names of the people that are actually being uh, trapped. So um, I didn't say what they are, but I have Steve Carell, who is going to be a rich businessman who is throwing a lot of parties on his yacht. Um, oh, and by the way, this takes place during quarantine, so all these people are breaking the rules. And that is why Jigsaw is uh, 
is trapping them. We have Ryan Gosling as a married man who's hiring prostitutes and going to illegal massage parlors and then returning back to his family. Um, Amy Adams is a party girl and has attended um, many parties across her city, including the one on Steve Carell's yacht. Um, I have Christina Applegate as a quote unquote Karen who is not wearing a mask and she criticizes those who do. Um, I have Sam Rockwell as a right wing senator who is pushing to open businesses and says that the pandemic is not as serious as it is. Um, my jigsaw is going to be played by uh, John C. Riley, who can do both comedy and dramatic roles. Um, and my two detectives are going to be Denzel and John David Washington, who are going to be a father-son duo trying to solve the case. Um, so this movie is going to show the political sides and the extremes on both ends, because obviously uh, the jigsaw character is going to be playing the side of the more you know left liberal, but it's not to such a, an extreme that he's trapping and torturing these people. Um, you have the right sides that are right side that are obviously doing something wrong, but is it worth you know being killed for? Um, but they are over the top characters. Um, and oh, I don't think I mentioned Christian Bale is one of my actors as well. He's going to be a drug dealer who's out you know dangerously um, sharing needles with people and selling drugs during the pandemic. So these are all the characters and it's going to be a commentary. It's going to have uh, political commentary in it. You're going to have a lot of interaction with these characters as why they would be uh, trapped. Jigsaw is going to be, you know, questioning them throughout and having them play his games. Um, and the, the violence in it is not going to be as torture porn. It's still going to be rated R um, and there's going to be some violence, but it's just not quite as torture porn. We waiting for this crazy thing and blood and stuff to happen just so that it tones it down for an Oscar bait type of movie. Uh, but it's really more about the social commentary and an investigation uh, to try to find these guys, you know, these people before they're all dead. Uh, the detectives are in a moral dilemma because they don't necessarily like all the people that are, that are being, that are captured, but they have to do their jobs um, and they know that it's still wrong. So you get kind of a commentary on both ends. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's a, Adam McKay tone. So you get a lot of, you know, comedy type stuff thrown in because you can, when people are trapped and you have things like that, you can throw physical kind of comedy and big short style um, dialogue in there and some, you know, cutaways to the parties that was going on and the craziness. Um, so you can have, uh, you can put his style into the movie. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much it. It's the story-wise it's saw, but it's just a very different tone and trying to go for a more political aspect. All right. Um, okay. Here's my questions for the two of you, Joe, first of all, are So these songs are all cover songs like yeah, rock yeah, yeah. ages style, but better. Cause that movie's terrible. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they're all cover songs of those. And then Bobby, um, what exactly does your movie look like? Are these the original Saw movie is two people stuck in a room with one dead body who ends up being Jigsaw? What is your movie all one like, like what seven or eight people stuck in a room, or is it more like Saw Two where they're all in like a house? I, I'm not really getting all um, this. They're, like a they're, saw. they're trapped in in a room. It's a little bigger than the one in the original Saw, but it's more uh, in, because when you reboot rebooting saw it's kind of taking aspects of the other one where he usually captures more than just two people. Um, okay. so that's kind of what he's doing in this. Uh, and the traps are there. Um, it's not going to have that exact twist because you can't really repeat that um, as the original one. 
because um, it's going to be focused more on the investigation by the police and the social com- social and political commentary. Um, so if you're not having the same twist as the first one, how is John C. Riley in it? Um, so, I mean, he is Jigsaw and uh, he, he's going to be other. So what's different than the first one, you're actually going to kind of see who he is. He's going to put on the mask to talk to them through the videos and things that he's piping in okay. and all that. But he's going to be a little bit more involved as a person because you you want to see his motivations and his kind of like what he's doing and uh, his reasoning, but also showing that even if his reasoning of you know trying to do the right thing, he's still delusional and crazy on on an extreme side. Okay. All right. Um, those are the questions I had. Uh, let's see. What do you guys got to say about each other? So, Joe, my biggest thing with making it a musical. You you put Trent Reznor in there, and I thought it would it would have been awesome if he was writing like these original songs, and they're all cover songs of rock, like '80s rock and metal songs. And I don't think um, that can be done. I mean, like like you said with Rock of Ages, but done better. Well, who knows if it's gonna be? Can it really be done better? Are you really gonna have anyone sound like Axl Rose and have it sound right? Are you really gonna have um, a movie just? I mean, you can songs for Saw. It also doesn't sound like Saw with the, you know, the violence. Why does how's that fit into a musical? Because they they're guys ch- chained to a wall and they got they end up cutting their arm off. I mean, I get that, but why? That's why what Saw is. They're guys that are chained to a room and like, oh, they cut. I mean, that's their foot in the original, but I couldn't think of ways yeah. that uh, your career would be ruined because you cut off your foot. So I just made it their arm instead. But who wants to see a violent, like horror movie and also a musical at the same time? Because What's the audience like. Because when I was in high school and middle school, the people that love Saw and horror movies the most are teenage and high school girls. And the people that love musicals the most are teenage and high school girls. So you combine both of them and you get every teenage and high school girl in America is going to see my Saw. My thing with your movie and my problem with your movie is the second we get out of quarantine, the first movie we see in theaters is not going to be a movie that reminds us of quarantine. And the Oscar voters are not going to vote for a movie that reminds them of why they didn't work for the last 18 months. I think Oscar voters love movies the most that comment on recent uh, political or social issues. Those tend to get nominations pretty much every year, no matter what the context of that is. Um, At least one of them is in there. And um, there are going to be movies made about quarantine. They're being written now. So we're going to be seeing... We don't know if there are any good because they're being written now. Like there's that movie with, I think, Zendaya and John David Washington that was filmed during quarantine, but we don't... It could be fucking dog shit. We don't know. And also, if they they, they have to wait to film this movie, so it's probably going to be out... Next so year. then it's not going to be about modern and it's, still, it's still relevant. It's still the most recent big thing that happened, but we would have been hopefully out of quarantine because none of the, no movie can really come out in the next month or two or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, so you're, you're trying to get high school girls and you, you chose eighties rock covers. I think oh, I said eighties, I said eighties and contemporary, but, but the only example, and I don't think that's the right audience for what you're trying to go for. But that's why I have Nick. But it Jonas. does. But it does have Nick Jonas. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> Jonas that's why brother. I specifically cast Nick Jonas and Haley Kiyoko and whoever the hell else I put in this movie. Yeah, that's very- <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yeah, that's not. It has a little of everything for everybody. You know, you like classic rock, you go see this movie. You like musicals, you go see this movie. You like horror movies, you go see this movie. 
Your movie just reminds me of the time I couldn't do anything for a year. All right, all right, all right, all right. I, 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 I got a ruling on this one. And, and um, okay, here's my thing. One, Joe. Joe had a great pitch until the remakes of old music. I was totally down for a Trent Reznor original music Saw movie. But it's us having to pitch, so I understand why you had to pick real songs because it would be tough yeah, to that, be that like, was the thing I was this is how about. my yeah this is how my songs like we already have to pitch a whole new movie i understand you're not creating a whole new you know song so i get your tone based on the songs you pitch so i understand why you did it even though that would make the movie worse and i agree with bobby that this your thing is made for high school girls but also has classic mm-hmm. rock music in it which doesn't really add up but i like classic rock and i like saw and i like some musicals so okay we're we're interested in that bobby bobby did uh he cast an oscar bait type movie um he has a bunch of oscar baity people but while yeah okay we're making this about quarantine politics i think he weakens his movie by including so many people your movie would have been stronger if it was just two people in the room and not so many i think that takes away from everyone's oscar chances if you had maybe even just three people you could have had two people go for leading actor and one person going for supporting actor instead your movie is going to compete with itself over and over in every category because you have too many actors in it Adam McKay doesn't fit the um, tone of your movie at all because Vice and Big Short are fun movies for the most part. Like they're about political events and they have serious issues, but I just thought your tone was all over the place. I thought your, your tone would have been better if it had like the director of like, let's say like a three billboards, whoever directed that, I forget. That would have made more sense. Adam McKay, I didn't think fit in, in your, in your style and there is a violent musical, and it's called Sweeney Todd, and it, I, it was one of the only musicals that I like. And the home run rule that I had under Saw was make it a musical. Hell so yeah. So Joe, Joe nailed my rule. The only thing is I would have made it a Flight of the Concords musical with them trapped in the room because Mel, the stalker by, played by Kristen Shaw, put them in it. That would have been my ultimate home run, win the pitch no matter what, Flight of the Concords in Saw. But my home run rule for Saw was make it a musical because everything else would be too similar or boring and making it a musical makes it different and fun. So I pick Joe, which ties up the game. So we got one movie left and I got to pick the winner. Yeah, so my thing was originally it was going to be all original music, but then I'm like, oh, well, what's it sound like? Or like, what's some of the songs going to be like? Well, I don't know music. So I'm like, I'll just put like songs people know in there. And I just... Yeah, I, I understood that. And and like the Oscar voters, the most Oscar-y movies are movies about like white people making movies about racism or movies about Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And Bobby's was too current political stuff. I didn't feel like that was actually like it would get nominated, but I don't think it would win anything. Um, right, so, okay. so Bobby basically picks who goes first because we only have one movie yeah. left, right? Yep. Yeah. Scarface. Huh. I got to try to sell this one real hard. All right. All right. Let's. So let, I'm let's gonna. See I'm gonna lead. Just... I'm gonna lead us off. I'll lead us right. off. 
All right, so cool. So Bob, Bobby's going to start. Scarface, um, the one that I'm basing my my ruling off of is the only one I've seen. So that is Scarface from 1983. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes uh, scores this 81. Percent. It stars Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, it's set in 1980 Miami, and a determined Cuban immigrant takes over a drug cartel and succumbs to greed. That's all you need to really know. Let's hear it. All right. So, if you are uh, paying attention to the rules, um, I only have one left, and that is I'm going to make Scarface into a Charlie Chaplin silent film. Um. So. My movie is going to be uh, directed by Charlie Chaplin, and he and so the thing with Scarface is it's been told quite a few times. It's been told in the book, and then in the original 1932 movie, and then in the 1983 movie. And every time the 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 general premise is the same, but the location is pretty much different. Um, and also, Tony is Tony plus a different last name in every movie. So I'm going to change his last name again so that he is not Cuban because I don't want Charlie Chaplin to play a Cuban immigrant. Um, so he is going to be um, Tony Holiday, um, and uh, my Manny Ray, who was um, uh, Stephen Bauer in the first one, his right hand man, is going to be played by Oscar Isaac. Uh, my Michelle Pfeiffer Elvira character is going to be Scarlett Johansson. My Gina, who is Tony's sister, who's who is very overprotective of is going to be played by Aubrey Plaza and my Frank played by Robert Loja, who's the existing gang leader is going to be played by Paul Giamatti. Um, and this is going to be in the Chicago gangland setting. Uh, so this is going to be a Charlie Chaplin movie where it's, you know, it's a lot of physical, you know, comedy and stuff, but he is able to throw in more of his uh, serious themes underneath this. Like he did maybe in the great dictator uh, where he's telling a serious story, but with his, style to it um and it's going to tell the story of this rising uh guy who falls into greed and he's going to be very happy-go-lucky in the very in the beginning very you know um it's going to be more comedic as the movie starts out as he's more happy-go-lucky and get a little bit more darker and darker just a little bit not so it becomes this straight up drama as the movie goes on uh towards the end as he's kind of losing control um and yeah the fight at the end where we, you know, say hello to my little friend and all that stuff is going to be there, but just be more comedic where you can have him uh, show a little bit more physical comedy, trying to like dodge bullets and, or people like, you know, and different attacks and all that different stuff. So you, you get to show that off. You get some great actors who can really express themselves well, especially like Paul Giamatti um, as, as the, uh, the existing gang leader who can be kind of over the top, uh, like he can do as even in like Big Fat Liar. Uh, and I think that can classic Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Well, but you know, he can be very cartoony, which you need in a silent film where you oh, can't really can't speak. Um, and I think they can all play that well. I think it's something it forces you to pay attention to the story by making it silent instead of just like tuning out to this kind of fun movie that 19, like the Scarface in 1983 tries to make it. Um, you, you tend to like Tony Montana, Montana in the first one. Uh, and you're, you know, in this, you're kind of more drawn into the story of what's going on because it's silent, uh, and not just kind of the craziness of Tony Montana. And also you get some entertainment value with Charlie Chaplin. All right, All right. Joe, what do we got? 
All right, so I'll start off my pitch with uh, naming my director, and my director is David Ayer, who was originally attached to do a reboot of Scarface, but he wanted to make it R, and the studio said, no, you have to make it PG-13, and he said, well, Scarface shouldn't be PG-13, and so we left, and I agree with him, and that's why I'm making it NC-17. He's going full whatever he wants to do for Scarface, and so for my cast, for my Tony, it's going to be Oscar Isaac. For my Elvira who was originally Michelle Pfeiffer, is now Florence Pugh. Uh, my Manny, his best friend, is now Diego Luna. And uh, Frank Lopez, who was originally Robert Loja, who I don't know why his last name was Lopez, because he's clearly an Italian guy, is now Michael <laughs> Pena. In my story, it's uh, instead of Miami, it's going to be set in L.A., and it's two Mexicans, Tony and Manny, get out of an ice-holding facility when gang leader Frank Lopez offers to get them green cards if they want to run meth for him. Over time, they rise in the gang, and at one point, Tony kills Frank and marries his trophy wife, Elvira, and takes over the gang. It's hyper-violent, hyper-sexualized, and it's a smaller scale. Instead of being this massive coke empire, he takes over one L.A. gang. And that's uh, my pitch for my uh, Scarface reboot of NC-17. All right. Um, okay, my question for Bobby... You have it as a silent film, so is it doing panels? Like, is it stopping and then showing panels, like old school movies, or is just the whole movie no, no, like form of words or anything like that to tell you what's going on? Um, it'll have the panels to kind of set the tone of whatever scene you're heading into, kind of deal. Um, maybe a little, a little less often than the original, like the okay. original nineteen sixty, you know, original uh, silent movies, but. It'll be there to so that you get the story across the setting, you know, where the location is even and um, some of the, the plot line. All right. Um, and then, uh, Joe, your movie is uh, by David Ayer. He's very bad on Twitter recently because he just keeps defending Justice League and Suicide Squad, which are terrible. But I love him as a director. I just don't know. Does he? Does he? Is he interested in making an NC seventeen movie? What is his? What does the violence look like? Why is it NC seventeen? So a lot of why it's NC seventeen is because they're meth dealers, and because we're supposed to see how like despicable and like how terrible they've come, and so we see like the true, actual effects of like doing meth for years and years and years by the people they're selling it to. You know, we see the super violence. We see them just murder people down with guns and like drive-bys and other gang violence we see real it's just like a it's almost like similar originally one of my ideas was to have the people who did uh city of god do this movie because i wanted it to be almost like not like documentary style but just to be almost like a true depiction of gang life in la Mm -hmm. and so like no no filter just like a super realistic and that's why i decided to make an nc-17 because we live in an nc-17 world all right. So, okay. I want to see what you two say about each other's. Um, as far as making this movie NC-17 with the tone you're going for, I feel like this is going to be such a hard movie to watch. Um, NC-17 movies, because of violence, I feel like go they're, they're done much better when there's at least more of a fun tone to it so that it's not this dark, depressing thing. I think it distracts from your story um, because people are going to have to maybe turn away uh, you know, and they're going to be pulled out of the movie because of how violent it is rather than following a pretty important story to tell. I would say, um, if you're doing the whole LA, 
you know, gang life and all that. Um, People should see how like shitty things are in LA. You know, this shouldn't be like watered down. Like, Oh, like we made the violence not accurate or we made, you know, the math use not accurate. And we did all these things, you know, not accurate. So people, so it could be palpable for like moms in Oklahoma city. But would it draw, would an NC 17 movie draw the stars that it did? Would they want to be in this style of a, of, of a movie? I mean, Florence Pugh was in Midsummer, which was basically like, if it was an NC-17, it might as well have been. Yeah, you could have you know? made it. Like, you could have added things to make some of these movies. I mean, I got to say, one of the only, like, big movies probably made any time recently that was any NC-17 was, uh, I think it was called Dirty Joe with Matthew McConaughey. And that definitely wasn't NC-17 because of the violence. It was because he sticks a KFC chicken wing through his pant zipper and makes a girl give him a blow job on it. So mm-hmm. I do think that NC 17 nowadays has nothing to do with violence. It's more about sexuality. Um, Which but, Joe said it was NC 17 because of how violent it is though for this. So I, you yeah, know. he mentioned, he mentioned mm-hmm. sexualization in the, in the pitch. So, so that's more of what I'm curious about. I mean, like, are you going to have like, nymphomaniac style sex scenes like then i'm probably I don't think not i'm has... probably not going that far but okay. like full-on porn shoot but okay and then and then bobby um my last thing i need to know so charlie sheen is like Josh. your tony montana right charlie chaplin yeah 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 okay so and it deals with cocaine no, this is the gang. So the like the original one didn't have anything to do with with drugs. I mean, this can it's not cocaine in Chicago, but um, there it's more. Uh, what was the drug there? I I looked it up. Um, maybe it was heroin. But there are there are other drugs that you could say, but you don't even really need to say what it is. It's just that it's a gang that they're involved with, and that you know. Uh, it's a silent movie, so you can get the point of what they're doing across with the phys- with the physicality, rather than saying Charlie Chaplin is carrying this bag of cocaine across the screen. Like you can just see, okay, there's drugs involved. Okay, all right. I think I think I got enough to know what I'm doing here. So, with Joe's, okay. So my rule that I thought was a home run for this movie was making it Oscar bait and making Oscar Isaac, Tony Montana. I thought that is a perfect casting. So Joe did cast the perfect person, but again, I don't know his, his movie is actually NC 17. I don't know if you really sold down that just because it's violent. Like no matter how violent a movie is nowadays, I don't know if that makes it NC 17, but also with Bobby's, I don't get how it's a Scarface movie if it doesn't have to deal with drugs as much. Because literally the movie that we are basing this off of is the 83 version of Scarface, which has him snort coke out of a mountain of cocaine. And Bobby took that out of his movie. So this was a very tough decision because I don't think... Bobby's movie is very Scarface, even though I like his cast. Both of you put Oscar Isaac in it. But the one who used Oscar Isaac best was Joe because he put him as Tony Montana. And I don't see a Charlie Chaplin version of a person 
literally the story of that movie is a person rising to power based on his drug dealing. And I think that a Charlie Chaplin movie doesn't fit into that environment. So I'm going to award the final point to Joe and declare him our victor for, uh, for this episode. Ooh. There you go. Joe's undefeated. It, I'm defeated. Joe, <laughs> Bobby is defeated. Joe is undefeated. This was, I didn't want to make Joe undefeated because he defeated me. You know, in our first official episode, but but this this was a tough one. There were some really difficult decisions on this. Um, I didn't love either of your pitches on that last one, but I think Joe just at least used his rule better. Yeah, yeah, that's the deciding factor. That was not one of my favorite uh, ones we were coming down to. My last two were like my worst. You know, those. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, I was not loving that. Yeah, when I was like looking and I was like, okay, I'm because my next one I was debating between Saw or Scarface next, and I'm like, well, I like Scarface. I feel like I could easily use that or lose that one, so I don't want to like lose like five to three. And I'm like, maybe I can pull a point out with Saw, and so I went with that. But clearly, hey, my if if either of you knew my taste for musicals, you would have made both of your musicals Flight of the Concords. Any of you who included that would have won. But the Saw as a musical was the rule that I put to it. So I was like, all right, anyone who does that, home run. And Joe mm-hmm. and I even talked, and he was like, there's no way the rule that I picked for Saw is the one that you were thinking. But I, I really loved the idea of making Saw a musical. So yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of what won you the point, because I just have a weird interest in seeing like a very violent musical that is Saw where someone cuts their arm off and then sings a song about it. <laughs> that would be pretty Even fun. if that song is Painkiller by Judas Priest. Yeah, even if it's another mm-hmm. Judas Priest song in a movie. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. whatever. I, I liked it. So, uh, again, like, I think it's too hard to pitch, like, your original music into a song. Maybe Bobby, because he actually makes music and plays the guitar could have played a song for his musical, but I would have gladly, if he pulled out a guitar and it's like, I wrote this song for this pitch, I would have been like, you know, if Bobby pulled out a guitar and was like, I wrote a song for my more time. Maybe I would have. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I think my favorite, my favorite pitches from each of you, I really, really loved Joe's Muppet Little Nicky movie. I think that was probably my favorite pitch from him. Um, and then Bobby, I I really liked The Rock as a, as a 60s movie. I, I thought that was a good idea. I thought um, that was the rule that I had picked for that, which I don't know if I mentioned, but I, I think that movie kind of fits in for a, for a 60s version. So I, I think that was probably my favorite. And, and also... Obviously, the Seven Samurai movie because that oh, was yeah. just total total yeah. pandering to me. But yeah, I go but like watch- as far as I'd watch that one in a second. Same. I'd, I'd go watch that right out. now if I could. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like that sounds sweet. So those are probably my favorites that you guys you guys both did. Was there one that you guys thought was like the hardest to to fight against? Joe, I'll start with you. I, I mean, Seven Ninjas was hard just because it's like okay, he said he's in Japan and it was like a I mean it was like more updated. 
and like his movie just sound awesome where i was just like yeah it's you know seven samurai <laughs> but they're wizards and it's harry potter and i was hoping the reveal of it being the four like founders of hogwarts would be enough to give me a point but as soon as i yeah. heard him say yeah so mine's seven ninjas i'm like well i just lost so <laughs> and by gareth edwards who johnny loves you're just like i've been fine yeah, totally. mm-hmm. by the way gareth gareth Evans, just, uh, i keep calling him the yeah, I, I always confuse their names. But yeah, I don't know. Bobby, Bobby, what was your what was your hardest to fight against for for Joe's pitches? Um, honestly, it might have been uh, just because I I felt like I needed to pitch mine so so well was uh, the the hundred twenty seven hours because I feel like that is perfect for Charlie Chaplin. Um, yeah. But I also I also didn't want as I was going through this. I didn't want to fight the same rule against the same rule. So I tried to stray away from that a little bit. Um, but that was the hardest fight because I thought that rule matched perfectly with that movie. And it's funny because I feel like if you did fight uh, pitch to pitch on like rule to rule on that movie, I I love that Joe included that rule. But if you had done that same thing, but not included so many people interacting, mm-hmm. you probably would have won because that was, I thought, Joe's my least favorite thing of Joe's pitch, even though I love the rest of it. So if you had done the same rule and just had it mainly Charlie Chaplin by himself, I would have maybe yeah. went with yours. So it's funny that, that you say yeah. that because I, I do think that that might've helped you. So it's interesting though, because that's the one I had underlined. I do think you guys had a tough challenge ahead of you with some of these. I had no idea what to do with the, with the Harry Potter rule. Um, yeah. I thought that was a tough one, and and I think both of your pitches lost for that Harry Potter one because yeah, yeah that was that it was, was it was just the I feel like it's a good rule, but there was just no movie it matched up with. Like I basically had to rewrite all of Seven Samurai just for it to make sense. But like set Greece Again, and Harry Potter, it's like how I think I didn't see it coming, but I thought Bobby's little Nicky pairing would have been really really cool if he made it about the the Peveril brothers. I thought that yeah. would have been like a perfect use of the rule. And I was on board, but then he included Voldemort. So like that one, I was like, Ooh, you kind of screwed up on that, but it could have been the three brothers, the three deathly hallows that could have been, you went on your direction to make that actually fit. But again, like it's easier for me to say after you pitch it, I don't know if I would have thought of that when I was writing something for it. Yeah. I I was, I, while it, cause I was sticking more with looking at a rib at little Nikki, my mind didn't go there. But as soon as you said that, I'm like, Oh, that would have fit my movie perfectly. But yeah, I don't know if I would have come up with that unless I heard someone tell me my pitch, you know? Yeah. 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 And again, and again, ghost rider, one of my favorite characters, I think, his best is in his super violent comics. I would have loved an NC 17 uh, ghost rider pitch that didn't have anything to do with the MCU because the only ghost rider that have, that should have anything to do with the MCU is like nowadays galactic ghost rider, where he basically kills every character in the universe written by, I think Paul Shear um, would be amazing. But like Johnny blaze ghost rider doesn't belong in the MCU. So I was like hoping that's, you know, I was going to go with Joe's until the, oh, we're going to make it wait until 2020 <laughs> to get released thing. If you didn't do that, you would have won. You would have won earlier in the in the show. But I was like, well, I just felt like that was cheating on, on the rule. Mm-hmm. But I do think I do think I'm this still time holding around, on to the point. The rule was cast it as a 1960 movie, not release it in 1960. 
Yeah, but I I I agree, but also total cheat. So and Bobby did his right, and you didn't. You you kind of cheat on. It. And I would have loved yours if it was like stop motion. Would have been fucking perfect for Ghost Rider, like Clash of the Titans yeah. style. Like yeah. instead of nowadays into a sixties movie where I don't think it fits. Like like Bobby said, like the technology nowadays doesn't fit into how they shot films back then, yeah. but. But I, I do like I, I love that was a tough one to start with. And I was like, OK, maybe it will be hard to, to judge. And and I think some were easier than others. But at the same time, I was like, all right, I like aspects of one or the other, but but nothing, nothing too much. So, yeah, other than that, I mean, I think we're we had a great, uh, great debate. Mm-hmm. And next week it will be a rematch between uh, Joe and I, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll be back to judging as I focus uh, to try to win next time I'm, you know, yeah, this- Bobby's gotta Bobby's gotta try to take a take a lead uh yeah. next time he yeah. next time he pitches. I'll, I'll be happy to sit back and listen to some pitches next week. Yeah. I think yeah. you get better as a player when you judge because there were so many times where I was writing my pitches where I'm like, okay, what problems would I have with this pitch? And so many of so many of my problems that you guys had with my pitches were from me trying to solve other problems in my pitches of like when I brought up like, oh, this movie's for like uh, like first saw when I was like, oh, this movie's for like high school girls because I'm like, okay, what are they gonna say about this? They're gonna be like, oh, who is gonna want to see a musical and who's gonna want to see a horror movie? And then I had the whole thing written out anyways with Ozzy Osbourne and classic rock, and I'm like, well, I remember in m- middle school when Saw came out, girls loved musicals, and then girls also loved the horror movies. So I was just like, oh, that's who I'll say it's for. Yeah, I, I thought that was funny, but I did think Saw as a musical was the best choice. But yeah. I don't know if either of you have seen Flight of the Concords. But no, I, was, I haven't. I have not. It's the greatest show maybe ever. I love it to death, and I've been watch. I've been rewatching it all week. I've been just all I've done all week is watch Flight of the Concords and play Ghost of Tsushima. So I was looking forward to your musical pitches and your samurai pitch. And then both of you made it not a samurai movie, but I liked, but I liked the the ninja thing. So. Yeah, you were hyping it up like all week, like oh, I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima. Sh- I can't wait to see your samurai movie, and I'm sitting there going like, my and then you samurai made it movie. Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's how you got to do that. I mean, I think that's not a not a terrible idea, but I just think the action in Harry Potter is like the weakest thing. So yeah, that's why I tried to that. change it, and I'm like, oh, like it's better. Oh, he has a sword. <laughs> Well, I, I Which said, is a good uh, idea. I said just like Justin Lin is good with action. Yeah. And like he made the Star Trek Debatable. fight like interesting. And then I wanted my fights to be more than just like guys staring at each other. And whoever wins the fight is whoever I guess stares the hardest. Stare. Yeah, that's true. All right. So anything else? Um, Joe, anything you want to like plug? Any good movies or shows you've watched recently? No, I just started like I'm on episode one of season five of Last Chance You. I started just before we came on here. That's basically where I'm at. I've been basically just been writing my pitches in my free time and that's about it. There you go. Bobby, anything you've watched? Even just something over quarantine maybe that you'd uh, recommend to people? Um. <laughs> I mean, it's all such a blur right now, and I, this past week I haven't really watched too much, but I would say if you haven't had the chance to watch Hamilton, you probably should, because uh, I did not think I was going to like it as much as I did, so that's about it. Cool. I was waiting for one of you to pitch a musical as Hamilton and me deny it, because I'm not <laughs> interested, but um, I should watch Hamilton, but I just, I don't know, I'm just, I no matter how many people tell me it's good, I, I haven't been compelled to do it. I'll just say again, which I, I've said on probably two two episodes of this show, 
if you have not watched Devs, um, that show is amazing. It's one of the best short series I've ever watched. Alex Garland is probably my favorite working director at this point, um, just with everything he does in the future. So I'm disappointed, both of you, for not pitching me an Alex Garland movie uh, for any of these, but I don't know what would have fit into that world, to be honest. So I understand it, but watch Devs if you if you haven't. And also don't watch Watchmen because that show is unwatchably terrible. Um, don't like That's it. That's not true. Yeah. It's, I've made it a few episodes in and I just can't do it so uh, that's that's my recommendation and my non-recommendation other than that um anyway uh reintroduce yourselves uh we'll start with uh with joe and uh plug your social media yeah i'm uh joe um i instagram and twitter is at the underscore joe underscore fricky f-r-i-c-k-e and uh, my final recommendation is you should watch watchmen on hbo max (laughs) (laughs) all right um I'm Bobby, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at LinkSkywalker14. Um, I'm not super active, but if this show gets a following, I'll I'll start to change that. Oh, yeah. My uh, Twitter handle is jdoop. That's D-O-O-P, 2393. Um, so follow me on Twitter if you hear this, and uh, we're excited to do the show. So for everyone watching and listening, just have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much.